G'day folks, uh, welcome to another Chit Chats with GitCats and uh, tonight it's a bit of a local, locally themed one, we've got Luke Palmer from Dead Letter Circus. How you doing Luke? Good, how are you going? I'm, I'm going good man, I'm going good. Um, and it's it's funny that we're having a chat like this because as you were saying as the uh, the intro music was, was queuing up there, we both live on the coast, we're both aware of each other Yeah. Um, and it's funny that we actually haven't cross paths to hang out or do any gigs or anything like that uh, together yeah 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 it's the the online world where everyone's friends we're all friends on instagram and facebook and the rest of it but you we've never actually hung out which is a shame yeah you know that that can be a strange thing i've actually crossed paths with people before who i'm very friendly with on social media and then you see them in person and they kind of freak out and walk away but uh (laughs) not you we we did meet at the music store and i was working at billy hides game in one time that's yeah. right, yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I can't help but notice your shirt there, mate. Loose Stone Studios. Yeah, that's right. It's a relic. Yeah, it is. It is now. So in case anybody out there doesn't know, Loose Stones, uh, Luke used to do a lot of work out of there. Um, am I right in thinking Dead Letter Circus have recorded a lot of your stuff there? For, yeah, we. Uh, the, that's where I met them, actually. I wasn't in the band. Okay, yep. So, I was working. I was working there as an engineer and a session guitarist, and yep. they came up from Melbourne and worked with Forrester on "This Is the Warning." And cool. I ended up making my way into the room and playing on some one of the songs. Yep. Um, just a sneaky little cameo because we were all hanging out. Yep. And then, um, and then I think the the next, or the Catalyst Fire and Aesthesis were also done. Uh, at that studio. Nice, nice. Before it was sold, yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I brought that up, folks, because in case uh, you folks didn't know, I actually designed and built the place. And, um, yeah, so it was a nice little throwback to see the shirt there. Now, you're in Studio Circuit today. That's uh, right. Which is yep. just down the road in West Burley. Very That's nice right. studio I hear. I actually haven't been there yet, but um, everyone tells me it's great. I've recommended it to a couple of people. Uh, what are you working on? Uh, well, lots, lots of things. Today I was working with Jacob Lee, who I play with. He's a pop uh, indie sort of, I guess, genre. Okay. Um, and yeah, we I, I play a lot of guitars with him. Nice. Um, and I've been. And then earlier in the week, I was here with uh, Luke uh, Licker from Dead Letter Circus. He's playing drums, session drums, with okay. um, the Masky Raid. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I'm doing their record as well. Um, there's there's about maybe five or six albums or EPs on the go at the moment. Uh-huh. So is that how you like to work? Do you like to work in like little chunks rather than just I'm just blocked out to this session for this amount of weeks or do you do a little bit of this one, go on to another one? How do you like to work? Uh, well, I mean, ideally it's nice to just do a big chunk, but, you know, depending on the, the bands and their schedules and, members that are available you know sometimes i just you know you just find yourself in this uh scattered um bookings so yeah it's, it's a it's lots and lots of little pieces at the moment with everything it's just the way the way the cookie crumbled yeah plus the fact that musos are all broke so no one's got money to yeah. <laughs> start was, finish yeah i've i've got a few things um that you know i started for people years ago and they they run out of money and yeah we have bills to pay. We can't do yeah. everything for free. Um, yeah, yeah. So 
you just said about um, actually joining Dead Letter Circus that you were working at at, at Loose Stones at the time. Yes. And yeah. 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 Just just uh, just happened to be in the around at that time, and I was a fan of the band because they just dropped that um, the first EP, and uh, I remember listening to it with Matt Bartlam, and we were just going, "Wow, this this sounds really good." Cool. Um, and it had a really kind of fresh sound, and yeah, we were both fans of the stuff. And then when they said they were coming to record there, we were just like, "Yes, awesome, awesome, yeah. awesome." So, have how has your take on gear changed since joining the band? Because I realise you guys uh, run a silent stage. Am I right in thinking that? Yes, yes, yeah. it's very silent. I was very, very, very against it. Oh, really? I, I did not want to play an Axe FX. Okay, yes. what were you playing before? Uh, I, I had a bunch of different amps. I had a um, just the old faithful JCM 900. Um, I played a Paul Reed Smith and my Telly, which is in the background. Um, and yeah, I always had pedals and and whatnot. And then the guys were using Axe Effects, and it had such it had a bit of a signature sound with Rob, the way that he used to, who's the original guitarist. Um, and it sounded great, but I mean, it wasn't for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't want to use it. Okay, okay. So, uh, how do you feel about Axe Effects now that, that you've done it? Hit that wrong button again. Sometimes I do that. Um, I just played the outro music. I need to get. A, <laughs> I'm hitting keyboards on a on a computer. I need to get a dedicated thing so that doesn't happen. Um, yeah. So, what were you using beforehand? And are you used to running Axe Effects now, or is it still yeah. under protest? No, absolutely not. I. I I use the Axe FX in the studio all the time. I use it live, obviously, 100% of the time. Um, I might just close this door, give me one. Yeah, you're right, mate. You're right. Nice looking studio. We're just checking it out. It's it's beautiful. The Amphium speakers are insanely amazing and clear. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, and uh, the yeah. So I'm I'm running the Axe FX three now. I, I had the, they gave me an Axe FX two. And I plugged it in. I was like, yeah, I, I, I don't really love this. And then, um, you know, Forrester really convinced me to spend some time with it. And so we, my sound at the time was my Telecaster through a bunch of pedals, um, delay pedals and whatnot. And then I was actually, it's funny that it's, it is actually coincidentally in the background here as well. This, that, the bad cat. Oh, cool. Um, that through a Marshall quad, yeah, was was the best sound that I kind of that I loved and that we used on a bunch of records. What well, we used it on the Catalyst Fire. Okay, that record was the first DLC record I played on, and um and then so he's like, all right, let's let's set it up, and we'll tone match it, which is a which is a you know a thing in the Axe Effects is where you I guess record the uh, like an impulse response style thing, and then see if we can get it sounding the same. And um, yeah, we had the amp in one, in the next room, mic'd up through an API, and then uh, we tone mashed it into the Axe FX, and then we were flicking between them while I was playing the guitar. Yep. And I couldn't hear the difference. Wow. Okay. And, and it it debunked it for me. Okay. In that, in that little moment. Okay, so when you said you, you went back and forth with it, with it, was that in the context of a mix or just on its own? 
on its own. On its own. But, but and here's, here's the big thing, and there's no SPL, so there's, there's no sound pressure level. You know, when you're in the room with an amp and you can feel it. Yeah. Like, obviously, that's gone. So I was in a recording studio. I was listening to it through studio monitors. And, you know, a big part of it for me was, you know, not having the faith that what is going through the front of house is sounding as good as what a real amp does. Uh-huh. Um, and at that moment, I was like, well, this sounds close, so close that I can't actually hear the difference on studio monitors. How can that matter live? Yeah, yeah, okay. And it doesn't always work that way. It doesn't actually always, it's not always a perfect match. But in this case, it was one of the closest things I've, I've ever heard. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Cool. It, it is dangerously close. It's getting, it's getting closer. Um, yeah. My thing with modeling, and I've had, I've had them all. I've had the, well, I haven't had them all. I've had Axe Effects. I've had Helix. I've had um, Kemper. Yeah. It's the way it sits in a mix. It's a little bit different to me. Um, live or, but that live was, or studio? Sorry? Live or studio? Uh, studio. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, when I can, I, I, I like to use a, a real amp. But then there's times when I've used modelers and nobody's been any wiser. I'd love to, um, I'd love to take you through some of my patches and see what you think. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, as we were saying before, I'd love to do a rig rundown with you guys when you're playing locally and come and yeah. check it all out. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. It kind of surprised me. I, I know uh, I was in Germany only recently and you guys were about to go over around the same time. And yes. when I was trying to line you up for this, I was like, hey, you guys need backline. I can I can get um, Angle. My friends at Angle will sort you out. Um, yeah. And you're like, no, no, thanks, Ben. We, we run a silent stage. And yeah. uh, I was like, yeah, that's what it's become. How do you go with in-ears, man? You, were you using in-ears oh. before? Is that something that took a while to get used to? No, I, I've been using molds for, uh, I think mine are about 11 years old now. So I've been running molds for about 11 years. Okay, yep. Uh, and I, yeah, I love it. Uh-huh. Because before that I was running my, I was hiding my cab somewhere. Yeah. Like pushing it off to the side of the stage and then miking it in like, and putting some blankets over it and whatnot. And yep. then just running, running in ears, and I kind of got used to it. So I, ne- I, I was kind of in this little hybrid stage that prepared me for this because I always got rid of my amp anyway. Okay. So I was, I was kind of used to it and hearing the sound through my in ears. And then when I flicked to Axe Effects, it actually, it, it, it sort of, it sounds better to me. I mean. Oh really? I, yep. I, I, yeah. To the now, I would, I would be. Um, I would feel weird playing a real amp now. I don't think I'd like it at all. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. We've got a few people in the in the um, the comments section already. There, who we got? Edwin Crane. Good morning, guys. Good morning. It's nighttime here, so I'm not sure yeah. where Edwin is. Yeah. Follow the fox. That's Ben. Just caught a glimpse of the PRS birds tat up. Well, there it is. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, cool. Ah, I didn't know what he was talking about there. Yeah. Up the arm. Ah, love. Okay. Uh, Michael, you should ask him what's his favorite guitar. Ooh, good question. Mm, and I think that might be my young friend, Mickey, who's uh, quite a little virtuoso guitar player. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, now, I think you let slide before that you're a bit of a telly guy, yeah? I am, but I mean, before that, I was. Uh, I, I have a PRS McCarty that I love. Okay. Um, yeah. That was, that was, I guess, 
that's been a favourite of mine for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I got the. I, I played about ten at Guitar World in Narang. It was. And um and I, I was cycling through them and I was thinking oh, I'll either get a PRS or I'll get a Gibson Les Paul. But I really wanted a PRS because I was a huge Incubus fan. Okay. And um, and I just started playing them and I just got. I played, you know, custom 22s, custom 24s, a whole bunch of, you know, the cheaper models and the more expensive models. And I just was, I was about nine in and I was like, ah, you know what? Maybe I don't like these guitars. Which is a funny thing to say because I was so obsessed with them just because I love the way they look. Is that right? Is, it's got to be 10 years ago now, maybe maybe longer, maybe 13 years ago, 14 yeah. years ago. Wow, classic. Um, and then and then I played the McCarty and I was like, there it is, that's the sound. Oh really? There's so much more bottom end, like it's just beefy. It sounded like a Les Paul more so than any of the other ones. Okay. Which you'd expect because it's Ted McCarty, right? He's the yeah. guy. He was the guy that worked with Les Paul on the on the Les Pauls, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So your your um, tellies, you were two humbucker kind of guy. Or are you using singles in them? What do you got in them? Uh, well, you'd think in a band like DLC I'd be running humbuckers, but ah. it's, it's singles. Okay. That's cool. It. Okay, so, so does your other guitar player run humbuckers? No. No, you're both on singles. Yes. And I I get a lot of the beef with my fats. The fat, I fatten it up a lot with a uh, either a whammy uh, on the back, or I, I have a Hog 2 by Electro Harmonics, which is a very uh, insane beast of the pedal. Which one's that? The Hog 2. Hog 2, okay, nice. Yes. Very, nice. very, very expensive, very gnarly pedal. And yeah. the, the, the things that it can do is quite mind-blowing. Okay. Um, but it's just been part of my sound since, the uh, you know, b- before I joined Dead Letter Circus. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, uh, I'll go through all your rig stuff soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so you said before you joined Dead Letter Circus, did you have to change your style much when you joined the band or was it kind of your style of playing anyway before you before you joined? Were you, was it just like one of those, guys, here I am, <laughs> I'm the perfect yeah. fit for this band or? Uh, well, I mean, they did, they went through, they tried a few, uh, quite a few guitarists out and um it, it was it was definitely up my alley, that that genre of music. Yeah, and I had and I already was playing a telly, um, so I had this before I joined, and then I think um, I think it was more the musical chemistry that I had with Kim when we started writing, that sort of got me in the band, and then when I joined, I I actually tried not to sound like them. Okay, I tried to 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 be to bring my own thing to it rather than just trying to, you know, like writing new music, you don't want to write the same album twice. You want to write something that has its, you know, has its own little identity and personality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So you were, you were a bit of a, you said they came into the studio and you guys were pretty, pretty wrapped. And um, I know I've, I've played some cover gigs with a couple of times with liquor and, Man, what a great drummer to play with, huh? He is a, he is a beast. I mean, <laughs> An absolute beast, yeah. Yeah. Every yeah. chance I get, every chance I get, I'm just like, hey, can you play on this record? Everything that I produce that has a rock band and they, they don't have a drummer, I'm like, that is 
good news. Yeah. Because I've got the guy. <laughs> well, you mentioned doing a record for Mass Skyraid, and yes. um, I play with King Mungie, um, and when we did a bit of a, an album launch, maybe about a year ago or something, Mass sure. Skyraid um, were one of the, the bands on with us, and um, they had a really shit-hot drummer playing with them. I didn't know it. Don't know his name. Was it Reese? Reese Baines? Does he do a bit of teaching with Troy Wright? Oh, you know, you know that would have been Morgan. I'm not uh, sure of his name. Flaky. Don't know, but he was, he was really good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's great. It, yeah. I, I have a weird, I mean, I guess a really weird connection with him. He used to play in a rock band and I used to do some tours with them before. Um, they were called Nine Sons of Dan. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've I've got uh, I've got Dan um, as a guest next week. Get out. Yeah. You know he's playing for the guitar for the poor now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great guitar player. He is. He is a nice guy too. Yeah. I like yeah. hanging out with Dan. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. we we I have that I have a connection because they did all of their records with Matt Bartlam at Loose Stones. Yep. Um, and so and I did a few tours with them and helped uh, write a lot of their stuff in the studio. Yep. And so I knew, I knew Flaky from there. But, yeah, he ended up playing with Masquerade. Raid. It's a small world. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So just talking about touring, like you guys tour a fair bit. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's, not, it's not crazy busy. Yeah, yeah. But it's, but it's yeah, there's, 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 definite, there's definite tours that go down. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, I, I guess being Axe Effects kind of guys, that makes traveling a lot, lot easier, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I know when I was a camper guy that I'd just take it as carry on. Yeah. Rock, it, rock up to a, a, you know, a big gig somewhere and just plug in two cables, away I go. Yeah. Um, it was very convenient. If you can make it work, if you can get it to sound exactly the way you like it, it's even better. It's convenient. It's all, yeah. of, the, all of those things. Well, like you were saying about the axe effects and taking the time to actually put in the sounds and everything. Um, I think that's what you've got to do. I did that with the Kemper. Out of all the modelers, that's what I had the longest. You, need, um, I, I, you know what? It, did, it took me six months. I kind of brushed over the fact that it took me six months, but I spent six months um, refining that thing and, and just those pages. The thing that, that I don't like about the Kempers and the, um, and the Helixes and, and every other modeler is the lack of... Um, detail to, to which you can tweak yeah right yep yeah i can you can just tweak and tweak and tweak like to the nth degree with the with an axe effects and that's, I, I guess that's why i love it yeah. okay yeah yeah that kind of worked against against it for me and with that was too many too much to play with um and i've seen it, that i've seen that with yeah. guys there's some there's certain guys out there with amps who don't have an ear for tone and if they have too many yeah. options, they don't know what a good sound is to go chasing it, and they end yeah. up really messing it up. And it's like, man, you just need an, an amp with just gain, volume, yeah. away you go. And then that's where the camp, the campers shine for that that kind of a person. I think I'm more of a, I love to get into the nitty gritty. I love to get a sound, and if I've got a sound like 85% there or 90% there, I go, oh, I like that. But how much further can I go to make this? just a little bit better and then you know I'll, I'll try and better it like I, I'm constantly trying to better my tone or tones and see if I can beat them and then I upgrade and I slowly upgrade my tones as I go cool so are you happier now using 
Axe effects than real amps, or you still go back to real amps? Uh, I am even in the studio. I can't stand real amps and the the pain of micing it up and really phase lining it and you know and then you just I, I sit there and I just go I'm getting I'm pulling the same tones with a with my axe effects. Yeah, right. Um, cool. But yeah, I've spent a lot of time. I have a lot of presets. <laughs> yeah, I bet, I bet. So yeah. with Dead Letter Circus, all the studio stuff, like on, on, on the latest albums, is that that's all Axe Effects, or you guys use amps in there as well? Uh, it's mostly Axe Effects. Um, I we have we do use a hybrid, so we we still mic up real still mic up a real amp these days and, okay. and hybrid it with a. Um, with the with the axe effects just because we can you know we we're always we always record in the studio and we always block out about seven weeks or so and it's just like hey we're here we've got you know we've got 5150s sherlock bad cat marshalls fenders let's just plug them in and have fun okay so in the actual axe effects is there a particular amp model that you tend to gravitate towards ah. in there and then start tweaking or yes. um, how, do you, how do you approach that uh so well i'm looking at the divided by 13 actually that's probably not relevant that's more of a jacob lee tone than divided by 13 okay um but typically i will use let me just check that i'm giving you correct information here but uh the brick uh, JCM 800 modded, so it's called Brit 800 mod. Okay. I use that quite a bit, and with dual cabs. All oh, right, so you run dual cabs. Yeah, so it has um, it's a blend of a it's called a four by twelve basket weave. Okay. And oh, sorry, it's a it's a it's a blend of three cabs technically. Yep. And then the other one is um, a four by twelve. Marshall again, but just a different um, IR. Yep. Uh, and then a Brit oversize, whatever that is, four by twelve. Okay. And when it comes to IRs, are you using the ones built in, or do you have a preference for There's, particular brand of impulse responses? Well, with the um, with the three, because I've got the Axefx three here now, so I went from two to three about. Maybe six to twelve months ago. I and can't was, was there a difference? Did Absolutely. Difference? Yeah. Process processing power, heaps of different little perks, um, lots of different things. I spent. I mean, I think it's in the Axe Effects two now anyway. But I spent a lot of time now um, with the making sure you know, I'm picking microphones and preamps um, because they model preamps and microphones, and then they have a thing called an air. Um, which is the the distance between the microphone to the speaker cone? Oh yeah, and then there's floor reflections and room. Um, you know the sound of the room around. Yeah, yeah. So so you know adding those things in, you start to go from this kind of you know the typical thing when you when you first plug into a, you know any any modeler, it just feels a bit two dimensional. Yep. And then, you know, you start to play with all of these other little elements like that tweakability thing that I was talking about and you start to go, oh, I'm getting that third dimension, this, the fizz around the, you know, you, yeah. the things that you can't, you almost can't quantify what you're hearing. It's hard to describe it, but there's like the third dimension with a real amp. Yeah. But yeah, getting getting that. 
getting those 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 elements um, is kind of cool. So yeah, um, there's so many IRs. Getting back to that uh, in the Axe FX three, there's pages. There's too like you said, too many options. Yeah. Um, but I'll, I'm I go through them all. I yeah. spend a lot of time. It does take a lot of time. <laughs> it does, and sometimes it feels like you're just wasting time, but I I still do it. I like it. Yeah. 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 I see that they got a new one coming out, a little a smaller floor unit. Um, I think that's, yeah, just a condensed version of it so that, um, yeah, so it has less features, obviously, but it's it's very tourable. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Might try one of those. So yeah. um, just back to your telly, what is there a particular model telly that you gravitate to? Do you have plenty of them? Or is there one main one that you use all the time? Well, yeah, this is, this is Youngblood. Youngblood. This is, this is my main one. Yeah. I think it got named that because the other telly that I had on tour was a an old 52 reissue which was called Old Fart. Okay. So this one was called Youngblood. But this is um this is a 2012 I think they're called Elites now but it's called it's a Deluxe. They okay. they used to be called a Deluxe. So it's um yeah, it's got the I don't know if you can see that, but it's got yep. cutaway. Yes, it's got there, which is nice and comfortable. Uh, the binding, it's got the S1 switch, so you can go. Oh, there. nice, nice. Series the parallel, which yep. I never use. Okay. Um, other tone and the tone knob's got that nice little thing where it locks. It drops down and it actually separate. I believe it separates it from the circuitry completely. Oh wow, cool. So. It, when it drops down, it's like it has a little thing that completely bypasses it. Nice. Again, nice. all things that I'm, maybe they do matter, maybe they don't. But all I know is it is a very modern sounding telly. It doesn't sound, it doesn't have that kind of twangy. You know, if you, if you play a 52 reissue, they have they have like a an airy kind of thin sort of twanginess to them. Which is the classic telly sound, but this sort of doesn't have as much of that. Yeah, right. So you, you mentioned the fifty-two. I actually had a fifty-two here a couple of months ago, a real one. Yeah, wow. I did a little tone comparison between it, um, a made in Mexico relic, and yep. a made in USA USA reissue. Yeah. Um, man, the the original fifty-two was so light. That was the first thing yeah. anybody noticed is just like, whoa, wow. it's just really light, very resonant. Yeah. And yeah. funnily enough, the Mexican was very close behind in terms of feel and yep. and sound and everything. But it, it had just it was twangy, but they it was just the right amount of twang. It is. It's the right it's that's what I love about them is they've got yeah, they've got a it's just perfect in the mix a lot of the time. It's you think you when you listen to it by itself, you think, Oh, that sounds a bit thin and and not pleasant, and you play something like a PRS or like I've got a Gretsch in the background there. Sounds really nice by itself, but you just put a telly in with the whole band and just it just bites through in the right way. Totally, totally. So I mentioned when I, uh, that I play with King Mungie, um, and yeah. there's two guitar players in that. The other guy uses an ESP Les Paul style guitar, so I use a Telecaster just to get yeah. that, that, that contrast. So it's yeah. funny that your telly's not too dissimilar to mine, which is just over here. I'll go grab it. Yeah, you've got a nice collection. Oh yeah. I have a uh, a Richie Cotton Telecaster. 
Yeah. Uh, let me just. Hot rails. Let the, it's got a chopper, Damasio chopper T, I believe it's called, in the Ooh. in the bridge. Um, standard Damasio in the neck, uh, twanking, I think that might be called. Yeah. But yeah, it's got very similar in that it's got a belly cut like yours does. Oh, it's so comfortable, right? Yeah, it's, this one has a very slight arm contour as well. Oh, yeah, because right. I've always been a, a skinny bastard. Um, I haven't been able to play. I, I have a dislike for Gibson style guitars because they hurt. <laughs> they do, yeah. <laughs> they do. Uh, and I, I clicked on that at an early age. It was like, oh, man, I'm too skinny to play those guitars. Yeah. Um, and the fact that nobody played Gibson when I started playing guitar. They were on their way out and they got saved by Slash, yeah. who, who, who played a counterfeit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which <laughs> is really funny with their whole play or play authentic thing that they've been doing lately yeah um, yeah so we got a couple of other questions in uh, in comments in the chat room um what kind of console console is that back there so i assume edwin's talking about yours not mine because mine is just a very cheap old digi design controller um what oh, yeah this is well this is not a console this is a um these are just uh, the modular Neves. Um, so there's eight channels here, and then there's another eight channels. I'll spin it around here. There's another eight channels there. Nice. So these are these are 1073s, yep. which are beautiful, and they're 1081s over there. Yep. AMS Neves, so not like the... Not original? Not the originals, but oh, I'll tell you what, they sound great. They still sound amazing. Yep. Have you ever recorded at 301 down at Byron? Uh, when they had the, no. uh, the, the I've, been, uh, I've been I've I've recorded on the the Neve in Sony in Sydney, which is um, I don't think it's a it's not a 1081 or a 1073. It's a it's something else altogether. Yeah, right. That that console down at um, that they had at at 301 had all loaded with 1081s and um, yeah, yeah. That's a lot of fun. That's a lot of fun. They, a lot of fun. Yeah, got some good drum sounds out of there. Oh, bet. Um, so what else have we got? Ryan wants to know any insight to the set list for Halloween Hysteria Tomoza. Oh. Must be an Aussie, Tomoza. Tomoza, yes. Um, well, I, if I'm perfectly honest, we haven't written it yet, but I'd imagine it'll be something similar to what we did in Europe, um, which was, yeah, a bit of everything, a bit of old, a bit of new. Yeah, quite a bit from the new album, um, but we try to cherry we try to cherry pick um, pretty evenly across all of the records so that everything gets a good go. Nice, nice. Uh, also, Gabor from the Super Fun Awesome Happy Time Pedal Show was in the house. Nice. Awesome. Um, but he's also just said, "Got to run set break at a gig." That'd be right. <laughs> <laughs> Typical music. Isn't cover bands a classic? You know. Um, there's that classic thing, people are like, oh, you, you're in a band, you know, you must be in between sets, you know, drinking, smoking, women. It's like, uh, no, you'll find us in this little tiny room with a bunch of dudes just looking at our phones. Yeah. <laughs> cover band, DLC, like every band that that you're in, that's, that's it. You yeah. Know, everyone's kind of just chilling. Yeah, totally. So, hey, um, I saw you guys are up for an ARIA award. Or yeah, that's right. More than one aria, or just one? Just one. Is that yeah. the first nomination? Have you guys won any previously? Uh, or? We we've been nominated um, for 
the previous record as well. And okay. I, I actually, there might have been one for This Is The Warning as well. I can't remember. Okay. Cool. What categories that you guys are up in? This one, th- well, so two or three, three years ago might have been now, we were up for Best Rock Album. Yeah. And this one is in the Best Heavy Rock slash Heavy Metal category, I guess. Okay. Yeah. What do you guys consider yourself? Do you, do you guys consider yourself uh, metal, rock, prog? I, I had difficulty when it came to creating a thumbnail just to for yeah. us to chat. It was like, uh, prog, rock, metal? Yes, that's, <laughs> that's it, prog rock. I wouldn't call it metal. Um, it's not It's not heavy enough to be metal, I don't think. I think it's um, it, it, a lot of metal players like our band because it has some kind of crossover there stylistically um i know people put us in with um carnival in that category a lot but i feel like we're more of a rock band to be honest yeah and with progressive tendencies yeah yeah okay yeah yeah so um i didn't ask you about just in your telly um is that just a stock single call that you got running in the bridge or because we saw i got like a a blade style in my one what what, what's the uh what's the pickup in it they're stock stock pickups. Yeah, so just standard old single call. Yep. How do but you guys I, go uh, for noise? They're noiseless. They're noiseless. Okay. Yeah, unbelievable. Okay. So yeah. I um I don't get any. I can't even make it feedback. It's great. Well, well you, you 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 would if you uh, used real amps on stage. Well, no, no. Even with <laughs> a real amp, it's it's. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm taking the piss. Taking the piss. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> now I um. You're saying about wearing wearing headphones or wearing in ears. Um, I only ever did that once or twice, and it was actually playing a gig with liquor at yeah. the beer garden with Ramjet, and yes. I had I was wearing in ears and the Kemper, and yeah. man, it spooked me because it was just too direct, and I I yes. didn't you know you you just touch the string and it's there and it's just like oh I'm messing up and everyone's like no you're playing fine it's like. Really? Um, yeah. Have you got any tricks to deal with that? Uh, well, you, you sort of start to, I guess, it, it's, it's weird because you feel like you play better because you can hear everything, but, um, and then, you know, and then you, you go through these stages where, you, like, you feel like you're, because you're, because you can hear everything, you're standing very still and you're not getting your, you know, you're not entertaining, you're not, you're not, you know, getting into it because you're trying to play really correctly. I went through that stage. And then I guess you focus on the wrong things as well. So you're not, you know, there's not like, you know, if you've got a real amp and there's a lot of noise and it's really loud, you kind of, you're a bit more bold and rash with some of the things that you can do live because the, the finite movements sometimes, I don't say don't matter, but they're not as perceived as... As, as much as you're perceiving it because it's so direct. But you can overcome all of those things. I think you just get used to it and you start to you start to learn how to play, I guess, and and, and understand you know, it's I think it's understanding that those little things don't matter. They're not translating out yeah. front out front okay. of house and and um, I don't know, you just you just get used to it. Yeah, right. Okay. It's like it's like anything. You just you the more you do it, the more you go. Oh yeah, I'm starting to get this now, and you learn it. It's a challenge. 
do you guys run mics to pick up ambience? I know I've pointed out to friends when I go to big concerts now, I always point out the little satellite dishes. I'm like, do you know what those yeah. are for? And I, I let people know that that's to pick up some ambience so they don't get that thing I was talking about where you're disconnected and you're like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Do you guys well, run those? No. Um, I mean, I've got a mic. I've got a vocal mic. Um, Licker's got a vocal mic. Kim's, Kim's mic is, you know, on. And, I mean, I, I feel like I, I – yeah, I mean, I've I've gotten used to not having ambience, and I I have both ears in the whole time, fully fully sealed the whole time. I n- I don't pop an ear, ever. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I mean, I've just committed hard and and gotten used to it. But um, I have suggested because I know I'm I'm starting to tour with a guy named Jacob Lee, who I mentioned earlier, and I I, I have an idea that I've because he he really bounces off the crowd and. He just did. He was over in Europe when we were over there, and he was playing shows. And he was saying, you know, he always kind of pops an ear out because he, he feels a disconnect. He can't hear how loud people are singing and all of the rest of it. Yep. And so I want to get him a set of, um, uh, get him to put a set of um, pencils or or you know shotguns at the front of the stage, but then have it on a have it hit a volume pedal before it hits the in ear rack. Yeah, right. So that he can go. If he's if he's wanting to know what the vibe in the room is, he can kind of push it up, and that feeds his ears, his in ears. But then he can pull it back because you know, if you have that in your ears the whole time, it gets it's, it can get washy and messy. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a great so, idea. Great yeah, idea. I think I think I think you know it'd be worth trying. I mean, we we do lots of kind of trick bits, you know, little tricks like that. Yep. Yep. Uh, so being a two guitar band, um, how do you guys go about like splitting up parts and stuff? Uh, like writing, is it a case of everyone brings in ideas for a song? Do you guys write together, and you hear the other guy playing? Go, well, you're doing that. I'll do this to complement. How does that yeah. that all work? Uh, it's it's there is we've um, there's zero ego with cool. um, with Vinny and myself, which is which is a really good time. Um, it's a it's a good contrast. Um, he's a great like excellent guitar player um you know has has a lot of feel and and yeah he, he's he's really good to play with and and we kind of just get in the room and we'll just write and we don't even care like it's like you're playing lead i'm playing melody and or i'm playing rhythm and you're playing melody or whatever like it yep. doesn't matter like well, none of us care I, I like playing rhythm guitar i mean he likes playing rhythm guitar i like playing lead guitar he likes we you know it's we have no preference. We have no ego. It's just let's just write something. Whatever comes out um, is whatever comes out. And if it happens that I'm playing the melody, then cool, I'll play that. And if it happens I'm playing the rhythm, then that's kind of what it is. And I mean, even to the point where sometimes in the studio will be, you know, Vinny might have he might have written a part, um, and then he'll be like, going, oh, you know, I'm not sure about this sound or whatever. And then I'm like, oh, what if you did this and you know, he'll just go here and they just throw me the guitar and then I'll, I might just change it a little bit and then record it and then that's it. Cool. It's his, it's his guitar part, but I recorded it. Or oh, completely vice versa. It's something I've written, I'm like, eh, I'm butting my head up against the wall here. It's like, and he might go, oh, I've got an idea. And I go, here, grab the guitar and he'll lay it down and we don't care. Like, yeah. at the end of the day, both of us are producers and we're all about. Um, you know, collaborating and, and getting the best result. And as soon as you start to go, oh, wait, that's my guitar part, it's like, ah, you just killed the vibe. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. So if you were to describe you two guys, like I'm just thinking of um, an interview I read many years ago with Foo Fighters, and they wouldn't say who played drums on, on what track. Oh, but, right. But Dave said something along the lines of, well, um, I'm the guy that sounds like uh, John Bonham playing, and then there's definitely another style of drums that sounds like um, – Mental blank, bloody police. Uh, Stuart Copeland, um, yes. and he said, and that and that's that's Taylor, and that and if you know that, it's very obvious. How would you describe you two guys? Like, would you say, "Hey, I'm the guy that sounds like blah blah blah," and Vinny's the guy that sounds like? That's a tough question, isn't it? it it's funny because um, with um, with the the previous albums, like especially as Thesis, which is uh, the album before our latest, that was the first time we really wrote well together like and we we kind of discovered the dynamic um i was i had a you know quite a riffy kind of i i played with the hog a lot so i had a lot of octavy kind of sounds and you know i i have my little flavors and melodic things that i stick to so it's obvious to me what i sound like on that record particularly but then we kind of, and then, you know, like Vinny has a lot of his sort of sounds and the way that he plays, and we kind of rub off, we rubbed off on each other. So the new album, there's a lot of stuff that sounds like me on the old record, but it's Vinny that wrote it. Oh, cool. And then, and then vice versa, a lot of stuff that, you know, you just don't know anymore. Like we kind of, we kind of, found, you know, kind of learned from each other enough that we kind of, it's it just all mashed together now. Yeah, right. It sounds like you guys have got a great uh, working relationship. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And like you said, no, no egos. Well, we produce together as well. So um, there's a band called Rival Fire in Melbourne um, that we, we produce together. Cool. And we've done a, a few other ones, um, Baltimore Poet and Adelaide Band as well. But, yeah, like it's sort of been a thing that just sort of popped up. Okay. Yeah. So, um, what got you into, into playing guitar in the first place, and and who were some of the, your big influences uh, from from the early days right up till now? Um, well, my dad got me into it. He was a my dad's a cabinet maker, but he um, he played a lot of guitar growing up, and uh, he he played in you know like kind of local bands and whatnot, and he he definitely got me into it. And he would play a lot and. And then an older friend of um, my dad's, um, Ted, who was uh, a family friend of my dad's, he he they would all come around and they would they would jam and play acoustic guitars, and so I, I picked it up. I think I've got photos of me at two playing a ukulele, and then I think I got my first guitar. Dad bought me a guitar when I was five. Cool. So I think from when I was five, I was I was practicing properly when I was five. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So are you very um, schooled in like music theory and stuff like that? If you started uh, that young, or just picked no, it up by ear? It was all ear. So yeah. everything was ear, and, and you know, like I loved the Beatles and and um, Jimi Hendrix, and I mean, I got into stuff like um, Tommy Emmanuel. My dad was kind of getting me into you know guitar players sort of stuff like that. But I mean, I, I think when I discovered music for myself, it was, it was, um, it was like Rage Against the Machine, and I think even like Green Day when they were really indie and cool, you know, that kind of that kind of era. And then you know, then I went on to punk music and bands like Incubus and 
all, all sorts of, you know, different genres from there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was, yeah, it was definitely my dad. I had a few guitar teachers and whatnot and I learned, I learned theory to an extent and then I, I got obsessed with theory and, and just understanding all of that stuff. But I, I noticed when I really delved into theory, I, um, I, I, I understand a lot of theory, but I, uh, I, I pulled away from it the more I wrote because uh-huh. I found the way that I wrote when I was thinking about theory was a lot worse. I didn't like what I wrote, the way I was writing. Ah, okay. And so then, like, even now, like, sometimes I'm I'm playing the chords that I play. I, I try to, I, when I'm writing a song, I try to intentionally not know what key I'm in. Oh, yeah. So, and, and don't think about any modes or scales or anything and just play and then move my fingers until, like, literally it's just like, oh, that note doesn't sound good. Move it, move it, move it, move it, move it. Oh, yeah, that chord yep. sounds good. I don't know what that chord is and I don't care. Yep. And just, and it's all about, how it feels and the emotion and I found that the more I wrote by just feel and and listening the better I wrote you know I I would chase better melodies and just things that I heard in my head Um, but again if I hadn't have learned that theory maybe those patterns wouldn't have been as easy to find who knows yeah I've always found over the years that people that don't understand theory tend to write the coolest things because yeah. they don't know the rules um it's, it's inspiring right and you and you go how did you write that you know nothing of music and it's just so good Kurt Cobain is a classic yeah. example like yeah. seriously like some of the chord progressions as simple as it is the, the acoustic one about a girl who goes yeah. E major to G I mean that's just all yeah. kinds of wrong but he makes yeah. it work yeah because he and, didn't know any better that's right, and sometimes that's the genius of it. It's just like something that you just know not to do, and they just do it, and they don't think anything of it, and you just go, actually, it's it's amazing. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Um, what's the other song of theirs? That's the chords are just everywhere. It's like Holly, is it? Or oh, um, I'm trying to think. It's, it's something off. Never mind. Oh, that um, the I, I was late to the Nirvana party, but I, I it was actually unplugged in New York that got me. Lithium, I think, is the song I'm thinking of. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Who comes up with that chord progression? Seriously, yeah. like yeah, that's just <laughs> everywhere. And if you were thinking of keys and things, it's it's like so. What we're changing bar every key here? Yep. Is that sort of going on here? Yeah. yeah. Cool. So something I've been asking people a lot lately is how they approach the fretboard. Because one yeah. thing I discovered is everyone's different. You know, that some people are into the what they call the caged system. Some are into the three note per string scale. Some work off intervals. How do you approach the fretboard? Uh, I, it's been, it's kind of obviously it's evolved over the years, but um, yeah, as in as a, as a, like with chords um, and chord progressions, and then you know, and then melodic playing i'm not i'm not much of a shredder so soloing is not like a huge part of my repertoire believe it or not but um i mean i i can solo but i don't i don't like the way i solo i'm more of a melodic player i guess okay yeah um yeah a lot of it a lot of it's based on chords and then inversions and yeah um it's evolved so many times i i don't even know what it is anymore it's kind of 
Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't e- I wouldn't even know how to describe it. It's just patterns. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So say patterns like. Yeah. I'm trying to work work out what you yeah, mean by no. that. Because um, every, well, everyone is completely different, as I say. Um, everything's a pattern that reappears in different places and in a different way. And you know, I, I found understanding the tuning of a guitar was a, a important step for me early days. Yeah. Um, understanding that everything's tuned a fourth. I've got to make sure I get this right because some guitar nerd will pick me up on this. But you know, like from E to A, and then from yep. A to B, and then the relationship between all of those strings yep. is all, all of the same until you go from G to B, and then understanding how that semitone um, difference, because that's a third rather than a fourth, mm-hmm. um, that and then how that affects the pattern at when you when you cross over the B string. Do you know Tom um, Quayle, the, the the Ibanez guy? Have you seen him online, I, Tom Quayle? I, I'm not much of a YouTuber, but I know the name. Yeah, I'm, man, he I'm he's an he's an insane shredder jazz fusion style guy, yeah. and he tunes his guitar all in fourths. I hung out yeah. with him recently in Germany. I posted a, a thing I, I filmed in Germany of him and Tommy Bola having a, a guitar battle. Not sure if you've seen that, but no. just before I filmed that, I was there with. Um, with Tom Quayle and I'm like, man, can I have a go of your guitar all tuned in, in fourths? Yeah. And just the different approaches to the fretboard. Um, if you're a three note per string player, there's a revolving pattern and you don't have to make that adjustment for the, the B string. And it's just like, oh, I get why you do this. Yes. Playing chords though. <laughs> yeah. Forget that. So if I was to do that, I'd have a double neck, man. I reckon it'd be yeah. so cool to do your shred yeah. stuff all in fourths and then... Yep. Go back to your you playing your your rhythm on on another neck, that yeah. would work for me. It would mess with the pentatonic, of a fair bit. It yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, but but uh, uh, but other than that, I get it. I get why you would do it. And I mean, I don't know who came up with dropping that B string because it should technically be C. Is that correct? Absolutely, and that's how they actually tune six string basses. That's right, yeah. They have a high C so, and a low B. I don't know who came up with it, but it's quite smart, right? Like with open chords. And it is. It is. It, 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 well, you say that about open chords. Uh, Tom explained to me about playing his guitar was that you just take an E and then yep. that's your e, e chord. Drop it down one and that becomes a, a major, not a minor. Exactly. And then Drop, again, drop it down again. Drop it down again, you get a D, but you can't play the low string. And it was just like, Bing. Okay, I totally get yep. this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that I used to teach uh, students was um, show you was understanding the tuning of your guitar and exactly that exactly that that um, that notion that when you drop the E down, it's that finger there hits the B string and because it's tuned a semitone flat, you need to compensate by making it sharp and hence you get the A and then you drop that down. Mm-hmm. And then the B string, you need to compensate again. So hence why that becomes a D. Uh-huh. So it's always B string, which is a different, I guess it's a slightly different approach. Yeah. But but that, you know, every time you hit the B string, you need to compensate by pushing it forward. So E becomes A becomes D. And it's yep. always the B string that's getting augmented every time. Yep, yep. Wow, that's that's really cool. I should bring that up with, with students, not that I do that much teaching anymore do you still teach a lot never never i don't i don't teach anymore i haven't taught for about 
three years. They had to. They had to. Um, I was working at Emmanuel College. Okay. Yep. Uh, on the coast, and um, I, they, they, I, <laughs> they had to let me go, and it was on good terms. Yeah. But yeah. I, I just, I took a tour at the beginning of term one. It was right on the first day of school I went on tour, and I think it was an American one, and it was about five weeks, and they're just like, well, I had to start the year by being away for five weeks. Yeah. No I totally get it. I think you should get someone else, and, um, you know, and that was kind of when Dead Letter was ramping up, and, and uh, I mean, I love teaching, and I loved it for a long time, but it's, it's kind of like covers for me. If I do it too much, I start to, you know, because you can – with the teaching thing, you can just be at 60 students like that. And it's just, and that's a bit too much for me. Like, I start to get to the end of it and I go, oh, I, you know, it gets, totally. a bit, it gets a bit hectic. Yeah, absolutely. I just find teaching a little inconsistent as well. I'm not really good at being the hard ass to make people pay up front and everything. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, school and holidays comes along and then all of a sudden, your eight students for the day turned into one and you still have to pay the rent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is why I'm starting a new job on Monday. Woohoo! Um, oh, right. What are you doing? I'm working for a place called Bay Audio, which is where I get my oh, earplugs from. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so um, they do – they're hearing specialists and they do um, hearing aids, but that's where, been, that's where I've been getting my um, hearing – I wear molded plugs, have done since a teenager – yeah. Uh, and that's where I've been getting them for maybe the last few years because they were half the price of my previous plugs I was using. Um, yeah. And I, I, I liked them much better. Hold on a sec. Is that in Southport? They've got one in Southport. I'm going to be at Rabina, um, uh, floating between there, Burley, and Southport. So if anybody out there is on the Gold Coast, they need a free hearing check, hit me up. There you go. Hit me is up. That, um, I've got a feeling that that might be where um, – Simon Budge Bicknell works. He's an audio. He's an audiologist. Okay, I believe it. I believe that might be where he works. But right. he's the guitarist in my in my old band. Oh, nice. Okay, great guitar player. Ah, cool. Yeah, cool. Who are some of your favorite guitar players uh, that are around now? Uh, local or international? Well, interna- international. Um. Wow, that's a, that's an interesting question, isn't it? It is, you know, like people, there's a whole lot of that, oh, the guitar's dead, there's no um, guitar on the music that's on the radio. Um, but having said that, you know, I'm discovering, I, I stay off Instagram, I post on Instagram, I don't check out anything on there because, yeah. man, I just want to give up. There's some of the people I've seen playing on there, I just Absolutely. go, I am crap. <laughs> and I think you know. Here's the thing: like when I was young, when I was younger, especially teenage years, I, I would have, I would have been like, I couldn't have named. I could. It would, it would be like twenty people, like twenty guitarists. I was into guitar as far as um, I was just all about guitar. And when I listened to music, I, I would be, you know, I'd have my headphones on and I would just be listening to the guitar if I was really honest. Yep. And, you know, like every now and then, like something would, would grab me melodically, you know, vocally, or the drumming would catch my ear. And But also, like, I had this real tunnel vision for guitar. I think I was and the same. Was, and then when I started producing, I started going, well, you know what? I've never paid attention to those other elements as much as I should have. And now I need to do that. 
And so now I listen to a song, it's like I don't really care about the guitar player as much as I used to. I care about the song and the way it's constructed and, and you know, the melody and the, the arrangement and, and even just like the way it makes me feel is such a is such an important thing. And, and um, yeah, so as a producer now, I'm probably just as much a producer as I am a guitar player these days. Yeah. Um, I'm finding that guitarists are less and less of a, um, a focus for me. So that's probably why I can't sort of name that many. But, I mean, I, I still look at guys like Matteo Sassato is, is a great example. I think I said his name right. Yeah, but you did. You did. He is amazing. He is absolutely he, amazing. He is mind-blowing. And, and for me, anyone who play like shredding for me, I, my eyes glaze over. And I, probably a lot of your fans might be like, well, what? Um, I watched a thing with this, um, uh, it, it, it's really amazing. Like some of the stuff, I just watch it and I just go, wow, that's like crazy fast and really amazing. But then after about a minute or two, I go, I don't really feel anything. <laughs> I totally get you. I totally you know? get you. Yeah. So for me, it's more about the song. Like for me, a great guitarist will, will complement the vocal of a song. Um, I mean, unless you're talking like an instrumental shredding piece, you know, like you, you go down the, the road of Steve Vai, Joe Satriani and, and all of those guys. Um, it's, it tends, it, it, I, like I get it, it's, it's amazing and it's really, really incredible that people have, um, you know, go to that, that degree as players, but it's kind of, it, it's just more that it's not for me. But I, I definitely appreciate it because I was into that a long time ago. But I, I guess player-wise, like, I mean, the genre that that I play in, there's a lot of good players. I mean, Drew from Carnival is a great player. Um, in that, he's very um, he's very technical, but he's very melodic, and that's the kind of stuff that I could get behind. I think melody is where it's at, isn't it? Yeah. Think, and and you you said before you know great vocal melodies, um, yeah. and that's something in just guys I've I've chatted to doing this. Um, who are guys that I'm interested in listening to play, and they all say that it's all about you know great vocal melodies. And when I do yeah. demos of stuff, um, I occasionally do um, pull out some old King Mungi tracks that I've yeah. still got the, the drum tracks for. Um, and when it goes to do the solo, I'll start off by playing the vocal melody that Ben sang. It's just like, well, yeah. that's that's what goes here, and then we'll just lead off that. And the same yeah. with doing solos for people in the studio. I'm sure you probably do the same thing. Yeah. Um, I, I did a record recently for a friend of mine, Brooke Supple. She's um, she's yeah, fantastic, and yes, yes, she has mentioned that she's she's gigged with you, and yeah. um, about half of the solos she sang to me. She heard how right. they went in her head. Uh, yeah, yeah, and then the others, yeah, yeah, we'd start sort of start off pl playing with her melody, going elsewhere. As soon as it got anything slightly guitar-y, you know, and a little bit of a blah, she's like, no, uh, get rid of it. Yeah, no. yeah. Which so, is a hard pill to swallow as a guitar player, and I remember I remember swallowing that pill, like going, you know what? It's sometimes like um, what is the guitarist thing to do doesn't suit like a whole bunch of genres these days, you know? Yep. Um, yep. And playing a lot more pop music and whatnot now. I mean, a lot of this, a lot of the stuff that I do in the studio these days is, um, you know, it almost sounds like a synth layer. Um, 
and 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 it's and it but it's it's a cha- it's a I, I've I've it's, it's I've come around to it. I love it. I really I really love coming up with layers and sounds and and um, uh, textures that are not typically guitar-y, but they are they really enhance the song. And there's so much you can do with a guitar in pop uh, and alternate music that is current that is awesome and it really makes a, a song sound three-dimensional against programming and synths and um, you know that yeah. that kind of electronic music you can really make it sound great so what are you using for the ambient type of stuff is that all coming out of the axe effects uh i i've been using a lot of delays and reverbs from the axe effects yeah. i i um i prefer it over all of my Strymon gear um that, and that again you're talking about um, Axe FX versus like Temporal Helix or any of those other um, brands, which definitely do a good job. But the reason I lean into the Axe FX is the just the quality of their effects are beating all my pedals. Is that right? It's amazing. Even they, up against the Strowmans and stuff, huh? Oh, a delay, I will take Axe FX over the Strowman and reverb these days, especially as some of the reverbs I've been tweaking and playing around with, I've just been like, wow. Wow, okay. Yeah. Might be time for me to check it out again. Oh, maybe we should have a sit down and do a live podcast. <laughs> Let's do that. Well, you said you know, you've been wanting to do something like that. I'm, I'm set up pretty yeah. well for doing that kind of thing here, if ever you right. want to do that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. So uh, what guitar tones inspire you, man? Who's, who's out there that you hear good guitar sounds and you go, that's a good guitar sound? Um, I guess... Yeah. Um, While you think of that, I'm just going to say you said before about you know being sort of focused on guitar and stuff like that. Before I ever played music, I, I might have played the organ or something. I, I played. That's what I started out with in, in primary yeah, school. Right. I was actually obsessed with synthesizers before yeah, guitars. Wow. But on the radio at the time in the '80s, I knew before I played guitar that Billy Idol songs had cool guitar in it. I knew that that yeah. was a good guitar sound. Yeah, so, exactly. And then yeah. later on, you know, when I sort of learned about, oh, that's Steve Stevens, and yeah, he, yeah. he's the man. Um, yeah. yeah, so even before I played, I recognized as a kid that um, Billy Idol had yeah. good, good guitar sounds. Who sets the benchmark for you? Um, Give us a few. Well, yeah, like my, I guess if you kind of tap into my early influences, like Rage Against the Machine was a huge one for me. Yep. Um, I guess the single coil thing. He, he, he was a single coil guy, right? Well, I, I don't even know. I just knew I just knew that I was just hearing stuff and I just remember reading the credits of one of their albums and it and it was uh, all sounds it's a little um, thing in the credits of all a of their disclaimer, records. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like all sounds made by guitar bass and drums and yep. vocals. Yeah. And I just was like, Wait, hold on a sec and then I flipped back through the songs and I'm like, How did he do that? And like People of the Sun I'm like, How is he making that sound? And then I found out he had an Allen key and he was smashing it against the string and then pushing it forward and the pitch would go up and down. Yeah. And then he'd do a pull-off with the Allen key. And, yeah, right. And, um, and then I remember going, surely not. Like, surely that can't be. And I dialed up this, you know, heavy tone and I grabbed an Allen key because my dad had all the tools and stuff and I started doing it. And then, I, and then it, the sound came out of my guitar and I went, it is an Allen key. <laughs> Cool, cool. Um, but yeah, little things like that, and I think that that band has really stuck with me for all of that time because I guess they're one of those bands that no one really, no one ever really sounds like them. 
Or if I, they do, it sounds quite B-grade or, you know, it sounds, you know, it's just so, it's so unique. And I, I don't think it's just the guitars, though, is it? it, it the drums and bass play a big part of that. I, I can absolutely. hear that drummer and just go, that's the dude from Rage. That's yeah. it, yeah. And same as the bass. Yeah, yeah. everything. It, it was. It's all of the pieces. Yeah. And it's the fact that they're, they're a band that's kind of trying to be a DJ for Zach Taylor Rocker to rap over the top of. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Essentially, they're just, they're just, um, yeah, it's just it was just an interesting concept for yeah. how for back in the day, but it was so heavy, but it wasn't. And the, that's the other thing; it's su it's such a heavy sound, but the guitar sound by itself is not actually that heavy. As we said, he, he's playing single coils a lot of the time on the neck as yeah. well, and um, yeah, yeah. I guess I, I I love a single coil in the neck, um, yeah, just for soloing and just that get that. Even though yeah, I, I might wittily diddly a, a little, um, still get that Stevie Ray kind of yeah blues sound when you want it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you ever get into Van Halen or any of those kind of guys? Or um, you know, that was kind of kind of before my era. So I was yeah. born in '84, and so I I I did this little jump over the '80s, and I've kind of been going back to it now and really appreciating it which is yeah. really interesting like some of the 80s bands but like so I, I i grew up um with my dad hitting me with black sabbath um the beatles was a huge one um jimmy hendrix so i kind of got all of this 60s and 70s um music and then it kind of jumped to the 90s oh really well, the music that I discovered was the 90s, so, like, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I guess my first bands were, like I said, uh, like, Green Day, Rage Against the Machine, and then that just launched me into, like, punk music, and I was going to a surfing school, I went to PBC, so yeah. everyone was surfing, so everyone was into punk music back then, that was the surfer thing, so I was listening to a lot of that style, and then I got into some real heavy stuff. Actually, funny... Um, the Hanlon Brothers. I don't know if you know those those boys. I produced their record. Um, oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So that was my high school band. Was Omar and Sire. Is that right? There you go. That's right. Yeah. And um, I knew and, their dad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, weapon of a drummer. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. So, great. so I mean, and those those boys were just destined to become great players. They were, just, and, yeah. and you know what? It was funny because we got Omar into playing bass. Because of that band, oh really? And we, need, we needed a bass player, and we're just like, "Hey, Omar, just go and get a bass, and you can be the bass player." And I, I swear, it was within the month he was playing Chili Peppers, like, like slap bits, and I was just like, "How? Wow. How did you do that?" Yeah, yeah, he he just he just took he just was instantly musical. So, did he play anything before that? No, he well he was he was three years younger than me, so we were. Sire and I were grade ten, uh, nine, sorry. Yeah. So he was in primary school, but he was he was huge. He was really. Yeah, I tall. remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah, and yeah, so here's the funny part: they got me into Corn and Sepultura and all this real heavy music. They did. They did. And they're just like the jazz funk maestros they're now. Jazz, yeah, that's it. And I'm just like, and they got me, they were like, oh, you got to listen to this heavy music. And I was like, oh, wow. And it kind of, because I, you know, I wasn't that heavy. Yeah. But they're like, oh, you got to check out corn. You got to check out like Limp oh, Bizkit. Wow. And I, show, 
<laughs> I know it's really funny now in hindsight because they're they've 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 flipped straight back to like playing all this like really kind of funky like awesome music you know yeah. the, you know their style yep and I kind of they they I'm still kind of playing heavy music <laughs> yeah classic classic you know um when I did their their album um and that was going back you know maybe three or four years ago now I'd say yeah um I went to Rewind Studio Lunar Audio yeah set up a bunch of mics um went okay yeah we're rolling play guys and then they started playing and I'm sure you've had this moment where you just go well, I don't have to do too much, do I? These guys yeah. are great. I mean, then you get other guys, you just go, oh, shit, I got my work cut out for me here. Uh, but yeah. no, those guys were just like, they are wow, players. wow, yeah. cool, cool. Um, and, you know, they, they knew exactly what they wanted to hear in their heads. And Yeah. Yeah. The only thing is when I went to the first mix for them, I can remember Sire coming in and playing it to him. And I went to try and get a really nice natural drum sound for him. Yeah. I remember looking at the guys and they and just looking at that so I finished the song and said, I haven't kicked it out of the, the park for you, have I? And he just yeah. went, Ah oh. and then he played me some records that he wanted to sound like and they were all blatant drum machine. I'm like, So you want to sound like a drum machine? I can do yeah. that. And yeah, yeah, started layering, you know, samples of that kind of thing in there and sure. they, they loved it. But yeah. Right. Yeah, that, that that's classic because yeah, they're great players, man. Very, um very, now you, very you said about producing that that's pretty much your, your bread and butter thing. And, and I just said then about yeah. the guys coming in, having their shit together. What's some things that bands can do to make your life as a producer a lot easier and at the end of the day, make the whole project sound better? Is there any things that you've, good, that you've learned that we can pass on? That's a good on? question. And, and it's, it's so, it, it's something that you just, you, it, it's bands that come in and they they don't know their parts or they haven't they haven't rehearsed it well enough together. You know that's that's always the big problem, especially in today's day and age. Everyone's got the means to record, and a lot of bands will write separately now because it's convenient and it's easy, and everyone's got you know Logic or you know some kind of recording platform, and so they you know the drummer might MIDI out their drums or record it and send it to the guitar player and the guitar player will, um, you know, play with it and, uh, you know, record his little bits and then they form a demo and they make it sound good but they've never actually played it in a room together and that seems to be a, a, a really constant thing. And it's either that or the opposite. They've only played jammed in a room together sure. and they've not listened back to it and got any kind of perspective on it. So you kind of got these two really contrasting things but it needs to be a bit of both it needs to be you know jam it out record it have a listen back go no 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 we need to change this i guess i guess it's just eliminating the need for as much pre-production because i always allocate pre-production days for albums where we get it we we get their demos we get in a room and and i you know i kind of get on a microphone and go all right everyone stop this section here needs work. Let's jam it out, and I'll have a Pro Tools rig running, and then we'll jam it out, tweak it, make it better. And you know, so that by the end of pre-production, we've go. That's the album. It's all recorded. It's all rough, but that's the arrangements that we need to hit record on properly. Cool. And how long do you typically spend on a record with somebody? Do you try and bash it out in a certain time, or just as long as it takes? No, I, I don't. I, I um. I don't compromise on time anymore. Okay. Uh, 
if a band if a band want to do it too fast, I just go, I'm not your guy. Like I want to spend I want to spend the right amount of time on every every element, and I want to make it right. And I think everyone I work with who comes out the other side appreciates it in the end. Um, so you know, like yeah, I, I will I'll scour over every kick drum, every snare drum, every vocal line, every harmony, every bass note, every every guitar part and every guitar sound and make sure everything's exactly where it should be. Um, I kind of, yeah, I, I, I just, it bugs me too much if I do something that doesn't, you know, isn't absolutely correct. Sure. And, and the, the way, you know, the best it can be, you know. Do you have an assistant that you use to do like the fiddly things like tuning or correcting time or anything like that? Or do you do, do you, do you prefer to just do everything yourself? Well, I'm just faster than you get really fast because I have been that guy. Yeah. And so you just I I actually have a process now where I I I kind of edit as I go. Cool. So as I'm as I'm recording, I'm it's just a it's just almost like a reflex now. I'm not thinking about it. I'm still thinking creatively, but the the editing is kind of happening happening and it's a creative part of my process. Okay. Um and yeah, I think I think I've tried I've tried having assistance and I've had people that have been interested and that I've been working with. Funnily enough, you mentioned Ramjet um, because I was um, I was using Mark for a fair bit. Oh, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, yeah, he was coming down. He's really good, yeah, really great, really keen. Um, and, yeah, so he was, he was sort of coming down and I was showing him, you know, bits and pieces of Mike and drum kits and all the rest of it. But I think it was just... He ended up just being too far away. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, Bummer. Bummer. Yeah, but he's he's like such a rad dude and so talented and he was he was really good to work with. But I mean, yeah, there's there's been different different guys along the way, but um yeah, I just do it myself now. It's just much easier. Sure. And and I guess there's there's certain ways you like to do things yourself as well, isn't there? Yeah. And when other people yeah. do things, you sort of like, Oh, it's not how I would have done it. But, yeah, uh, and it's just like oh, I'm just going to redo it anyway. Yeah, so yeah. you're you're a Pro Tools guy. I'm a Pro Tools guy, absolutely. You ever spent any other time in anything else, or have you always just been? been it's Pro always Tools? Been, it's always been Pro Tools. I I'm not I don't get in wars over, you know, like oh no, Cubase Pro Tools is better than Cubase or Pro Tools is better than Logic. It's like I just don't know. I only know Pro Tools. It does everything I needed to do, and it does it really well. So. I don't, and, and sure, like it's got its bugs, but every every program's got its pros and cons as, as far as I can see. And just, I think, just because everywhere, every studio you go to, it's all, it sort of seems to be Pro Tools kind of everywhere. Yeah. Um, in Australia, that, Australia and America anyway. Yeah. Not so much yeah, overseas, I notice. Sure. There's, there's, there's definitely, um, you know, a lot of people using more and more, more and more people using Reaper and, Cubase and uh, I mean, who knows whatever whatever else there is out there. But I mean, yeah, Pro Tools has just been what I've used. So I've tried um, using Logic probably about ten years ago. I was going back and forth between Logic and Pro Tools. Yeah. Um, you said you know Pro Tools does everything. It does now. It, they caught up with you know being able to freeze tracks, bounce in place, oh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. For a few years, it didn't have some elementary things that everybody else had. Absolutely. Oh, and still, like, there's still things in there that bug me, absolutely. But as far as, like, for the most part, I mean, and, and like, honestly, like, I'm not objective on it at all because I haven't used anything else. So I can't say Pro Tools is definitely better. 
But I mean, everything that I need to do, I'm quite fast at doing what I need to do in that time. And I, I learned from guy like um, Forrester moved up. I don't know if you know Forrester Savile. I, I know of Forry, but I, I actually haven't met him. I was going to try yeah. getting money for a bit of a chat, actually. Yeah, you should. Yeah, he um, he he moved up from Melbourne and he was working out of Loose Stones, and um, and now I, I hire his room like quite a bit. I work out of his studio um, that he has, and he I, I you know watch him like a hawk because he he's constantly doing things that I go. Wait, wait, wait! What did you do? How did you do that so fast? Yeah, right. Uh, I, think I spent maybe five years over his shoulder, going, "How did you do that? How did you do that? How did you?" Cool. And he was very—he's really generous with his knowledge. Nice. Um, and and really good. So uh, you know, I've done a fair bit of work um, with him. You know, obviously he does all of the Dead Letter Circus records, and um, you know, we've done a lot, quite a bit in the studio where I, you know, I've produced stuff. I always kind of flick it to him or Matt Bartland to mix. Um, and then we even did, um, you know, a little bit of a collab with um, Sky Harbor as a band from India. Okay, um, cool. And uh, yeah, they're very, they're really, really talented boys. They, um, yeah, so we did it. We did that project, their latest record, sort of together. I guess I was, I was probably more of the assistant engineer, if anything. But, yep. but yeah, it was that was that was a good project to work with Forrester on. Cool, cool. So. Um, Let's talk about drums. Yeah. Yeah. So recording drums. Now, do you use a lot of triggers or do you do you, um, it's mostly natural sound, a bit of a blend of the two? I think I think I think the ultimate goal is to pull the best drum sound that you possibly can and and go go in with the view of if we weren't going to use triggers what would we use? But at the end of the day, of course you're going to use triggers for for um, you know, if if the if it's gonna make it sound better, then you do it. But I mean, it depends on how much of that trigger you use. Um, and and yeah, I mean, I'm not anti using triggers, but I mean, it's, it's not a hundred percent samples. Oh, yeah, I have come across guys that are a hundred percent samples. It's like so you don't know how to mix drums, and you're just gonna replace them. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that kind of comes from like that, you know, the Chris Lord Alge style thing where he just deletes the kick drum and just, or he just uses it as as, as the trigger. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you he, he can't really argue with some of his mixes because they're amazing. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, and he, well, he mixed um, Aesthesis, which was our, not our latest record, but the one before. Cool. Cool. Um, and yeah, it sounded good. <laughs> can't, can't <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, but it's um, yeah. I think um, I definitely spend a lot of time making sure I capture the the drums, you know, in the best way. I mean, I kind of everything I do now is is pretty much the same with this room. I have a you know a particular set of things that I do in this in studio circuit that I know works. Um, but yeah, I like going, I like recording in other, you know, foreign studios and, and just going, all right, what have we got to work with? And then kind of starting from scratch. It's just a, it's a good challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I know for me, um, a good drum sound starts with a well-tuned kit and yeah, I know this because I did a session once I used to be the in-house guy at modern music in, in Brisbane. 
Um, and yeah. it was a band that came down from Townsville. They, they hired a kit through um, Greg at Drum Cartel. Yep. And Greg came in and tuned the kit first and first thing in the morning. I put yeah. some mics up, and then he's like, "Oh, do you mind if I stick around and have a listen?" And I'm getting some levels, and he and he, he turned to me and he and he's like, "Man, how'd you do that? How'd you get that drum kit sounding like that?" And I looked at him and said, "Ah, uh, you did. <laughs> yeah, you just tuned it, man. I've just put some mics on and turned it up. I haven't even begun to play with anything. I'm just yep. trying to you know, get the, the, roughly everything in phase." Yeah. Um, so, do you agree with that? It all starts with a. A well-tuned kit and do you do you tune them yourselves or do you have somebody else that comes in and does it no i've been getting i've been sort of um working more and more on my drum tuning skills um like you said it's super important um i do a thing where with snare drums um I, you know like with the rock thing i'm always using heavyweights evan's heavyweight heads um with the, actually, with the toms on this Masquerade stuff, I used the hydraulics. Oh, wow. Um, on this last one, which is the Evans. It's a, a, a dual ply. They, they, they come in all weird colors and whatnot. So we had red heads on the kit here. I okay. always use um, I try to – most bands go with the Yamaha um, kit that is here at the studio, which was owned by Matt Bartlam, and it's the, one of the best sounding kits I've ever heard in nice. the studio. Nice. Just amazing, yeah. But I mean, yeah, it's all about it's all about tuning, tuning stuff right, tuning the tom, making sure everything the, the toms are resonating and and not conflicting with each other and and whatnot. But mostly for me, it's this you know the snare tuning. I, we snare shoot out every song that we record. That's, really, that's a big part of what I do. So I will, I will set up the song, set up, the, you know, get everything in phase, pull my drums tone to where I like it. And then usually I have about eight or nine snare drums that are all tuned up, and I'll and we'll record the chorus of the song nine times with nine different snares. Wow! And then we'll come through and we'll listen to them and flick through the snares, and it's amazing how different they are. And then we'll find usually usually you identify it pretty quick, but yeah, this snare and the the way it's tuned to the song, and then I'll I'll, I'll usually get a little piano app and and find the note that the snare is tuned to and then work out where it is in relation to the key of the song and then I might fine-tune it so that it's exactly that note. Awesome, and, and, awesome. And then the way that that works with the song is is always amazing and then, yeah, and then we'll take samples of the kit for me to build because I usually um, I will, I'll take samples of the kit, so take samples of the snare and I'll build a trigger. Do you, you, you know the software trigger? Uh, yes, yes. It's a Stephen Slate plug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, that's what that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll build a trigger, um, I, I guess preset with all of the different velocities of the snare. So I take all of the samples, I chop them up, and I put them in. Um, so you get like four different samples for each velocity, or five different samples for each velocity, and then if you use that as your sample, like you're talking about using samples, it's it's not. It's the it's the snare. Your the sample that you're using is yeah. This is the snare with the same player and yep. the same room mic. So same room, all same that room, stuff. everything. So that that in that in that way, um, you get the most um, natural sounding. You know, if you want to beef up your snare, you're just adding more of the same thing. Yeah. To really beef it up. Awesome. Um, yeah. 
So when you're getting a, a, a drum sound together, um, I'm not sure, do you, oh, do you mix your own projects or do you get guys like Forrester and stuff to, to do those? Or Well, yeah, Matt Barlam and Forrester are definitely better mix engineers than what I am. So yeah. so um, if, you, if you were to, to mix drums, do you start yeah. with your overheads or all the cymbals or do you start with the wood and then bring them in later? Because I, I know there's two different approaches there. Uh, look, it's... I mean, a lot of the times it's sort of work work my way from the kick, snare, to, um, Tom's hats overheads, and then start adding in that other stuff. But at the end of the day, like mixing for me is not it's not linear like that. You know, it's 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 kind of like yeah, you play around with your kick, you play around with your snare, to the point where you get it to like yeah, I know that's what a snare drum sounds like, but I'm not going to go too crazy with it because when I put it all in. And then when you start mixing, by the time you're mixing guitars and bass and stuff, you start to go, oh, you know what? The snare against all of this other stuff needs to be more like this. So it's like, why waste your time, you know, crafting the perfect snare sound? It's like tele- like that whole thing with Telecasters in the mix. It's like they're really nasty by themselves. They've got kind of that weird bite and they're not full and bottom-endy and you kind of think, oh, it kind of sounds nasty, but... It works when- in context. In the context, it works. So it's like, you know, you can spend all of this time creating this guitar tone by yourself in your bedroom and it's not really relevant. Absolutely. Same, same, same with, you know, same with the, the drums. I, I think it's like, yeah, let's get everything kind of sounding the way I think it should sound and then start mixing, you know, bass and guitars and whatever other instruments I've got going on and then and then I'll go back and play with some snare and then I'll go back to the guitars and do that. And then oh, I might go back and, you know, whatever's grabbing my ear at the time, it's just this kind of juggle of like just slowly, slowly, slowly getting everything to where it needs to be. Sure, sure. So I, I was going to ask you if you had any tips on um, guitar sounds in the studio, um, but I'm guessing that you probably use the Axe effects most of the time. Oh. So on the stuff that you're producing for others, so you probably... No, well, see, I mean, again, I've done a lot of years of pulling guitar tones with real amps, and I mean, I still every now and then, actually, you know, there's still projects where bands want to use real amps, and I'm totally cool with it, and I yep. love it. It's cool. fun. Cool. Um, a bit, uh, I guess, I, th- I kind of my go-to process is um, hitting a radial. Um, uh, splitter like yeah. a SD. Oh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's a. It's got like six outputs on the front, so you that run big yellow one. No, nah, it's um, it's blue. Blue, I think. I'm colorblind. Uh, yeah, it's blue. So yeah, and they're just parallel outputs, and you can flip the phase, and there's a ground lift on each of them, and they got the Jensen transformer in them, so it's like a perfect um, <clears throat> transfer of the signal. Yep. So I'll usually run, you know, in, in the con- in the console room, I'll run guitar and pedals into the splitter and then split that into um, a couple of heads. Usually I try to just do two these days, but you can do three or four amps at the same time if you want to battle the phase. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so I'll, I'll hit, you know, PV5150s or, you know, Marshalls or Bad Cats or whatever I've got at my disposal. Okay. And then and then yeah, run the speaker cables run through the ground and into into cabs and I usually have a little bit of a baffle that I put between the two cabs to keep keep them separated in the room. Nice. Um a go to miking is fifty seven and a four one four on axis at the center of the cone. 
Yep. And do you align them so that their the um, yep. diaphragms yeah. are exactly yep. the right, and so they're all in from, phase? And, and then if I'm using two cabs, I make sure that the distance from the capsule to the speaker cone is the same from cab to cab. Yep. And some sometimes that's hard if the um, if the mesh isn't. You know, the actual physical speaker and the mesh is a certain distance. Yeah. And then the ca- the next cab is different. You know, yep. they're all they're always different. So yeah, it's just trying to work that out. Um, I think phase is be is a huge thing when you're starting to play with multiple multiple amps. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I, and I have the same problem in the Axe effects. To be honest, I have um, I, I use a, a a lot of my sounds are a different amp on the left to the right. Yeah. And and so I think there's there's you get problems if it's if the IR is is different. I don't yep. understand how it works, but they're not all. You, you can't assume that they're always perfectly in phase. In fact, um, Matt Bartlam was mixing a bunch of stuff that I did. I think it was a Jacob Lee project, but he was splitting my stereo tracks to mono and then using um, there's a really really good phase program called uh, plugin called um mind blank um what is it called who makes it uh uh auto align okay yep yeah that plugin and so he and then so you use that it's very very accurate at detecting phase and putting two signals in phase yep um yeah, so he'd, he'd been doing that with my Axe effects. So I just assumed that it was in phase, and it sounded great to my ear, but he's like, man, it came alive when I phase aligned those two channels. Ah, I actually experienced that. I went to um, Baby Animal Soundcheck at Southport yeah. RSL about six oh. months ago. Oh, not even six months yeah. ago. Um, and um, so they they were running the, the DigiDesign or Avid console with a little Pro yeah. Tools, so the band played for a bit. And Dave, uh, Dave Leslie is using uh, the AX8 now, the yep. Axe FX on the floor just for fly gigs. Feeds it to a Marshall behind him, run it through speakers, mics that as well as um, sends a direct to front of house. And Ricky, their front of house guy, was showing me he was playing it back. Yeah, you know, they played a song and, and then they yep. went off and he, he kept tweaking and um, showed me about just phase aligning the Axe FX to the, the mic'd signal and just the difference that made just that shift for absolutely yeah and, and the thing is with the axe effects because i i do a lot of so with the splitter box a lot of the times these days i will go into the the radial split to the axe effects or a kemper or whatever and then split to a real amp and then run both of those in parallel okay. they're always in phase yep they're nice. always like there's always a, a latency and um more and more, I've been using ACBU input with the Axe effects to try and minimise that. Okay. So, so it stays digital. Yep. Okay. Cool. So, all this talk of guitar sounds. I know you've got your pedal board down beside you there. Do you want to I give do. people a bit of a, a run through through your signal flow for uh, your rig that you use with Dead Letter Circus? Sure. Um, I think you can if you can see what I've got going on. I have a. Sure can. Uh, uh, this is a cheese, so it's um, better. So this is a RJM Mastermind, uh-huh. um, and that's that's the brain of everything. So that's in, you can see all of the cables coming out of it. There's another row underneath that as well. So I have um, what eleven pedals or whatever, um, and they all loop 
individually into here. So it's a looper. Um, so when it when it's green, that's uh, song mode. When it's um, blue, they're just individual pedals uh, in and out of the loop. Okay. So that so that's clean. So everything everything runs into the top box there, which is a junction box. I plug my guitar into that, and then it runs into the mastermind, and then out of the mastermind, back out to my Axe Effects or my amps or whatever you run. Okay. So do you run some pedals pre Axe Effects and then others um, in like a loop situation, or is everything before? Everything's before. Everything's before. Okay. And if I want. If I want something different, I will use like a delay, for instance. If I don't like the way that the trails, um, you know, like the trails of a delay hitting an amp and they slowly become cleaner and cleaner, if it's a dirty sound, yeah. Sometimes I don't like that sound, so I'll use an Axe FX delay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I like everything. Be I like pedals most for the most part being before the amp. Um, except for you know, some, a lot of the time I don't like that with delay and reverb. Um, but yeah, so e everything loops into this guy. But this guy is also a MIDI powerhouse, really. So I've got a MIDI output which splits four ways. So this MIDI in song mode, this will MIDI control the timeline, the uh, whammy, Digitech whammy. Yeah. So it just changes changes the presets on them. Change the preset yep. and the hog two, okay, which is up up the top there. Yep, um, and the axe effects. So there's a MIDI out of my junction box also. Oh, cool, cool. Okay, so it's very it's it, it has a lap. There's a program on my laptop where I design every song. So all of my songs, I have uh, scene one, scene two, scene you know x amount of scenes. So this this song here is intro, verse, chorus. Verse two lift solo, and that's it. That's five. There's five scenes, and every song that I play um, live with Dead Letter or Jacob or whoever I'm playing or touring with, yeah, I design. I design every um, section of every song to have its own sound, um, and then in the axe effects, I make sure that every different sound has its own scene, so I can volume control. Um, every sound. So if if you know I go to a verse two and the verse two needs to be dropped down from the chorus, I I do those volume automations within the Axe Effects. Oh, cool, cool. So I'm basically mixing, um, mixing the myself. Yep. Through front of house. So when the chorus hits, I go. Ugh. Sometimes I even have a stereo enhancer that kicks in a bit as well. Yep. You know, nice. Certain songs. Yeah. So do you run everything stereo? Like all the pedals? Uh, are they feeding the the mastermind, the RJM um, uh, in stereo? Yes, yep. So I hit it. I go. There's. Um, I've got a fuzz, a compressor, and then my. Um, pitch shifting things, which is the hog and the whammy, and then I have my overdrives, which is the sick as Bondi effects, and then the T Rex Mud Honey. Okay. Now they're all mono. They're in the uh, mono loop section. Yep. And then when I and then I have a timeline, the Strymon timeline, the Strymon Blue Sky reverb. Um, sorry, the Boss RV5 reverb, and then the Blue Sky reverb. And then I have a, a flux tremolo, and all of those 
four pedals are stereo and they cool. are running stereo loops and then the stereo output then runs to the junction box which yeah runs to my axe effects nice so my my stereo effects on my pedal board hit the axe effects in stereo cool <laughs> nice rig man nice rig yeah now you said you had a compressor and something else at the start there what what, what was the first couple of things uh, Apocalypse is a fuzz. Which fuzz, is yeah, yep. Insanely gnarly. The, one of the coolest sounding fuzz pedals I've ever heard. Um, and then the it's Bondi FX again, the same guy that makes the sick as that blue overdrive. But it's just a, if you look at it, it's just this silver prototype. It's the first one that he made. Cool. And it's designed to be like a, um, I think it's the chip from a DBX 160. Yeah. Um, but it's got like attack and release. And I remember when he built the prototype, Jono, his name is a really lovely guy, but he was building the prototype and he did the attack, the slow attack. It was like a 1176. So slow was like off, turning them off and then fast was turning it all the way up. Yep. And he told me he was going to swap that because all of the pedals on the market were the other way around, aren't they? the other way around but yeah. i was like no that reminds me of a studio compressor i why don't you keep it the same i like that and he goes yeah, yeah but you're the only one and i said well can i have the prototype <laughs> and, he goes, and he goes yep and so he gave it to me so it's that's the first 2026 um bondi fx compressor that's the prototype it doesn't nice. even have jack the screws for the jacks the jacks are just kind of floating oh really <laughs> yeah classic Classic. And are they they an Australian company? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. I think. Yeah, he's he's um he's got a, an American accent, so I'm pretty sure I can't remember where he's from. But I mean, Bondi FX is obviously Bondi Beach. Yeah. And 2026 is the the name of that compressor. That's the the postcode. Of oh, okay. Bondi. Cool. Bondi. Nice. So, and do you yeah. swap things out on your pedal board much, or has that been it for a while now? And it's- it's been it for a while. There's not much I can't get going on with um, that, between that and the Axe effects. I've, I've not gone, you know what, I really need this sound and not been able to get it. I mean, you probably notice a lack of phases and flanges and choruses and stuff like that. If I do use that kind of thing, um, it's... Um, I do it in the Axe Effects because because of their stuff, but I'm I'm typically not a big fan of phases and flanges and um, chorus sound. The best, the closest thing I came to liking a chorus was the Strymon Deco, oh, this yep. like stereo cool thing. Yeah, tone. I wouldn't mind having something like that on my board. I, I picked up a um, one of those plastic Arion choruses when I was in Japan about ten oh, years ago. Yeah. And as I said, I've, I've had all the, the different modelers and one of the reasons I keep getting rid of them is I compare that chorus to the chorus that's in all these things and there's yeah. just no comparison. That's but it. how often do I use that, you know, for the sake of, yeah, you know, just that, having it there, do I really want to lug around another pedal? So I yeah. totally get, yeah, you just use what's in the, the multi-effect. Yeah. I mean, I've got Pro Tools as well. Like I'm such a Pro Tools nerd if I want, you know, especially in the studio, if I want kind of some kind of chorusy thing, like I'm reaching for an Eventide plug-in or a, you know, a, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of UAD plugins that do like the Roland 
um, you know, the old roll and choruses and the, those effects. So, I mean, half the time I'm using Pro Tools plugins as well. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just the day, the day and age of the world we live in, you know. And as far as live goes, there's not much that I can't, you know, do at a great quality between the axe effects and the, that pedal board. Sure, sure. Um, I was going to ask you something just then, and it totally slipped my mind. I wrote it down. Um, do you guys uh, play to a click live? Yes, you do. Absolutely. So, Everything do you then have program changes being sent to your gear to change patches for you? I could do that. You could, but, but you don't. But yeah, so half of me is old school. Half of me is all about technology. I kind of like the, you know, the whole like you know. I'm playing this, I'm playing this verse, and then I've got to hit this pedal, and then I've got to, you know, change to this guitar part, and then and then sing this line, all all sort of once. It's the the challenge of of a little bit of tap dancing that I still enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the tap dancing is very minimised with this pedal board as well, being that you can press one button, and you know, infinite amount of things can be changed via MIDI and via the loops being switched on and off so there's a lot less t tap dancing it's usually just like verse chorus whatever unless i'm pitch shifting um because <clears throat> the hog i do a lot of pitch shifting with the hog with the expression pedal oh yep i'm gonna uh, that's not a volume pedal by the way that's your um, ex expression yep yeah so that that is the expression pedal for the hog cool so that'll push um, the octave, push it up an octave or back an octave, most typically in a DLC set. Or yeah. And this pretty simple um, question I should have asked earlier, but tuning-wise, what do you guys tune to? Um, dead letter tunes, half step down. Um, so like drop C sharp, I guess. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So drop yeah. D down a half step. Drop D half step down. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Cool. And how does your guitar handle, like, if you're playing other gigs, do you have your guitar specifically set up for that and take another one if you need to go do a gig that's in standard tuning or you just tune yeah, it up? Yeah, and... I mean, this is, this is my, um, for, for um, pretty much for every other band that I play in, this is, this is my, my baby. Wow. Um, so this is a Gretsch. I look think at that. It's a, I think it's a Sparkle Jet. Wow, or look at it. Is that like... Is that like a pearl top or something on that? What is that? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Hey, so I I had a uh, Jackson Ampworks amp. Yeah, and I loved it. I really did, but I just wasn't didn't. I got sick of lugging it around. Yeah, and um, it had broken down on me a few times. But I um, I was trying to sell it, and it was worth a fortune. Like they're worth about four grand. And I was trying to get what it was worth, and um, I just couldn't move it. Yeah, and someone was a, a friend of mine who sells a lot of gear on Facebook Marketplace and whatnot. He um he was selling this. I said, "Would you swap it for a Jackson Antworks?" And he's like, "Yeah." And I just thought to myself, "I could sell this." And totally, totally sell this because it's beautiful. Um, and so that was my plan. So I got it, and I'm like, "All right, I'm going to sell this." And I just jumped in the studio one day with Matt, and I just went, oh, "Hey, I've got this guitar. I'm just about to sell it." And I played uh, played on a track, and we were just floored, just like wow, so three dimensional. But it's not just the I think because it's um there's a few there's a few upgrades on it. So these are TV Jones pickups. Yeah, were they TV specials um, or something? 
they're just called TV Jones. So they're just stock standard TV Jones okay, pickups, yeah. but this one's a bit hotter. Yeah. And then the the bridge is a solid. It's not a standard bridge. It's com- it's called a Compton bridge. Okay. And it's a solid piece of steel, and it's kind of got the whole PRS thing where it's just set. And it was badly intonated when I got it as well. So yeah. I ran a I ran a blade. It was glued down the bridge, which yeah. a lot of people do, or they pin them. Yeah. Um, but it, luckily, it was just glue. So I ran a, a uh, Stanley blade under there and really carefully um, removed it. And so now it's just floating there, so I can intonate it. Wow! Wow! So that that, that sort of reminds me of those Zamitis Zamitis guitars, but they're metal, aren't they? That's that's like a pearl. Is that what that is? Yeah, it's just like I mean, it's it's actually if you have a look, it's it's a solid mahogany under it by the looks of it. Yeah, it's yeah. like solid solid mahogany, but then it's just like got a, a, a yes yeah, a sparkle finish. But yeah, besides that, it's I don't care what it looks like. It when I played it, it was three dimensional and wow. warm and all of, everything that you could ever love in a guitar tone. And the Bigsby's just got an amazing feel and action to it and. I just fell in love with it and I couldn't sell it. So I ended up selling a Jazzmaster that I had at the time that I was using for a similar thing. This just was so much better. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've never used Filtertron pickups. I've never had a guitar that's had Filtertrons. And yeah. um, I think I'd like them because yeah. because Malcolm, Malcolm Young. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's one of the benchmarks for me when I'm talking rhythm guitar sounds is trying to play like him and just that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's sort of like it, it is. It is classic. I mean, I think Barlam had a White Falcon at the studio at Loose Stones. I'm trying to think of it, if it had Filtertrons. I think it did, and I I remember loving that guitar. Um, but it was too big for me. I'm almost like like I'm the same. I'm skinny. I'm little, and I I play that, and I look like a little five year old. I'm like going, I I laugh. <laughs> But I feel like I felt little, like a little, like a real little kid playing that thing. I laugh at the um, shook me, shook me all night long film clip. Yeah, and because the young brothers are seriously small dudes, and yeah, yeah mate of mine always laughs when you talk about that song. He goes, "Oh, and Malcolm with the world's largest bloody guitar, it looks huge on him." Massive it's, on him, yeah, yeah. And even SGs, I look at how big an SG looks on Angus. I can't play an SG; it's just too small. Um, yeah, and everything's too far that way. Like, oh, wait, exactly. You, you, you I don't feel that? Like yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels like I'm playing guitar. I've got to change the shot so people can see what the hell I'm doing. But it feels yeah. like I'm playing guitar, like like this over to the side rather than in yeah. the middle when I'm doing it. Um, but I guess everyone's different with what they like. You know, different That's neck it. profiles. I've come to really appreciate big fat necks. Yes, um, I'm the same. And I, I actually think a lot of the tone comes from that. Just the, the yeah. Since I've I've played chunky in it, neck guitars. Um, there's just a certain thrust and strength that I feel. I don't know if it's just something I'm feeling in it or whether it actually comes across in the sound. That's an interesting uh, debate that I've been having quite a bit in um, just with lots of different people talking about what what actually affects the tone. Yeah. And, you know, like, because, I mean, you're essentially talking about a magnetic field, right? Yep. And um, how much can the timber that is on this guitar or the fretboard, you know, whether it's maple or rosewood, like, to me it seems ridiculous that it would make much of a difference with the 
the way that the magnetic field is picking up the string vibrations. Um, but but I think you know solid timber, and and you know like and then a bridge being screwed into solid timber, you know the way that a note would sustain and resonate acoustically would then translate through the magnetic field, I guess. Um, Theoretically, it's it's a strange thing, and there's so much debate about it. And I got to say, I've got a um, a Strat Ash, a older uh, sorry, Strat Ash Ash Strat is what I meant to yep. say, uh, an older Strat and a basswood throw together, and they all sound completely different. But what they sound like acoustically kind of comes through in the sound of the guitar yep. plugged in. So yep. um, my Richie Cotson Strat is is ash and it just has a nice bell like sound like heaps of lows heaps of highs there's a bloom about it i think it's the pickups in it that just boo i love it boo. yeah <laughs> um <laughs> whereas my older strat just has more of a mid-range thrust about it yeah. but you hear it when they're beside them and you just play them you just strum them you hear that yeah. completely so but then i've spoken to other people that that you know and, and guys that have designed pickups and the like and they go no it's like well, it's all a load of shit um, yeah, so it's hard to, I, to know. I, I, I definitely err on the side of I don't think it makes any difference to a certain degree, and I think the only way that you could really, really prove it is um, is by taking the exact electronics out of one guitar, like do, doing a, a thorough recording of a certain, you know, of one of and the same player playing the same thing, and then gutting it, putting putting it like a balsa wood guitar. And I've heard of a guy doing this actually locally on the coast. He did it and said, he, he you know, for him it was confirmation that it was all a load of garbage. It's just it's, it's purely the electronics. And if you take the exact electronics out of your guitar and put a balsa wood guitar body on it, it'll sound identical. And that was that was the theory. Yeah. And right. um, I mean, I don't know. I I, I feel like it's it maybe ninety ninety. Five percent of that would actually be true, but I mean, that surely there's a five percent of like the resonance of, of um, you know, like acoustically, if you've got a solid body guitar, the notes resonate in a certain way, and maybe that, if it if it happens acoustically, somewhat some part of that would translate through the electronics. That's what I that's what I would think. Yeah, it's funny. I had Frank Falbo on here as a guest. Um, couple months ago and he designed um the fishman fluence pickups um as well as the seymour duncan uh p rails have you seen those which can switch between being a single coil humbucker and a p90 um it's all all in one so he he designed a few things like that and yeah yeah, the talk of tone wood and frank just rolled his eyes and just went ah but you guys can talk about tone wood it's all a load of shit um Yeah. yeah so i'm very on the fence, I haven't done those subjective tests myself. I'd like to actually route out one of my cheaper guitars so that I can start doing pickup demos and do all the demos of any pickup that I come across on the yeah. same guitar so that you can hear it yeah. um, you know, I, the same. I think, I think at the end of the day, a lot of the people having these conversations are, and, and um, yeah, it, to me... It seems like it's a lot of amateur guitar players on YouTube having a lot of these conversations, not guys that are out there just like, I mean, half the players that I know that are like touring and playing 
they're just like, eh, who cares? Like, it's, it's like that Steve Lukather interview where he just goes, man, I've had boutique handmade pedals and guitars and amps and I've had it all. Like, I've had everything thrown at me. He goes, now, I don't care. Yeah. Give me a guitar. It's going to sound like me. Yep. Like on the, it, that's what it's going to sound like, and I, I loved it. It was a, it was one of those interviews where I went, yeah, you just gotta, you just gotta, you know, not not get bogged down on things that are so insignificant. And like I think John Mayer was, um, he he had a funny little um, rant on a on an, oh, might have been like an Instagram one of his live feeds. Is someone someone you know he answers questions and yeah. someone said, oh what 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 do you like the I see you using a tube screamer with this mod or something on it. And he goes, look, I used to have these debates, but he goes, you give me a green pedal, a green overdrive pedal. He didn't even say tube screamer. He said, if it's green, I'll make it work. He goes, I don't care what chipset it's got in it. Yeah, It'll sound like me. Um, and I, I think that's, I think, yeah, a lot of people will lose the forest for the trees. And as much as I'm a gearhead, I think sometimes you can you can lose the forest for the trees and getting bogged down in those details. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, friend of mine um, opened for Kit, not Kiss. He's opened for a lot of big bands. Uh, Def Leppard, it was, and he yeah. said that Vivian Campbell walked past uh, his dressing room uh, after they played one time, stuck his head in, and yeah. said said in his Irish accent, um, "Hey, I was going to ask you. Sounded great. I was going to ask you." what you were using but we all know tones in the fingers and then yeah. sort of left and he just went yes this guy knows he knows yes totally <laughs> yeah 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 but it is true isn't it like you, you you could play through these guys rigs um at same guy actually played eddie van halen's rig and he just said man i was just disappointed it sounded like me didn't sound like eddie yeah. van halen <laughs> totally yeah. oh and isn't that isn't that isn't that the epiphany it's like it's it's um you know, you can, you can oh, and I've done it so many times where I've, I've pulled a tone in the studio for a band and if it's like, you know, a really struggling guitar player, um, you, you spend all this time pulling a tone, you're like, there's something wrong, like it's out of phase or something like that. And it's just like, hey, can I just, you know, I might just, as I'm kind of playing, I'm trying to, I think if I hold it and play it, I can tweak it because I don't know what's going on. And then you just, you just strum and you just go, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you know. And different gear reacts to different players. I was talking to um, yeah. to Dave Friedman about this recently when I was over in Germany. And yeah. he was saying about how one of his amps can sound absolutely killer for one player. And then the next guy will play and just look at him and go, it's broken. You're, you're, yeah. this, this amp's broken. Yeah. And he'll hear it and he goes, yeah, it sounds broken. Then he'll pick it up, play himself and go well it sounds fine when i play give it back to the other guy so it a lot of it is to do with the touch isn't it it's all about the Absolutely. way you touch it and yeah oh totally and i mean i had that epiphany with synths um just recently because uh, a project that i've been playing on we've been getting a, a friend of ours uh, ian perez um who's a keyboard player really really excellent keyboard player um and i've you know i've got all of these synths in in pro tools or you know instrument plugins yep and um, he, um, you know, presets that I've, I've, you know, I've got a MIDI controller and I, you know, program things in from time to time. And just there's a lot of presets that I go past and I go, oh, that doesn't sound any good. But then he was on the other end of it and I was recording him and I was flicking through presets. And then he'd, he'd hear it and then he'd start playing something like bouncing off the sound that 
Exactly. And then playing a certain way, and I went, oh, that sounds so good. I hate that preset. Yeah. How did you make it sound so good? Yeah. And it's just, he's just the weapon, you know? And, and again, it's, it's all in just, uh, it's all in your fingers, you know, and just the way, the way you play. And I mean, that's that's a keyboard which seems like a a, a less let you'd think that less would translate through a keyboard, but it's not it's not the case. It's it's very it's very much the same, you know. So talking about that now, one thing that blows me away is Trent Reznor. Yeah, can play one note on a piano. And I know it's him. That there was that documentary that came out that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio did about global warming and that. Yeah. Um, after the flood or something, I think it was called. Whatever it was called. Anyway, I went to a friend's place and he was watching it. I hadn't seen it, and I walked in, and within thirty seconds, there in the background there was just this ding on the piano, and I just looked at him and said, "That's Trent that, Reznor." That was Trent Reznor. Yeah. Who, who, <laughs> Did he do the music to this? And I started Googling, Googling. It was, it was like the premiere of this thing. And then, yeah, the credits, it came up. And I just tapped my mate on the shoulder. I said, told you, I heard one yeah. note on the piano. I knew it was yeah. him. How does that happen? Seriously, yeah. with the guitar, it's all about how hard you hit it, the the way you wiggle it. I even think your bone structure and yeah. you probably have something to do with it. But Absolutely. piano, man, there's not much variable to that. There's velocity and that's about it. Yeah, but it's... it's um Oh man, yeah. It's like when you get a really good player, it's 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 amazing. But I mean, you just think of I just think of like you know you just play one a really good guitarist might just hit like just a, a an open G. Yep. And you know you get another gets another player hold the G perfectly. Yep. No buzzing notes and they strum it and you just go, nah. Yep. Yep. Doesn't sound half as good. Why? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I know that that when I play an E chord, there's a certain sound um, yeah. that I know a lot of guys that can absolutely shred the pants off over me, man, but they're shit house rhythm players and I'll just, I'll just, I'll just hit that big E chord and go, go and do that. And they can't. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, man. And I, I, I think that's the thing. Like I, I, th- I feel like I've spent a lot of my time um, playing quite simple sort of music, especially more, more recently. Um, and and um, yeah, it's it's all about tone. It's all about you know, and it's all about note choice and you know, simple versus more stuff. And I feel like that's um, seems like a cop out. Like oh, you don't shred, oh, it's because you can't do it or you haven't spent your time practicing. It's like well, I've just been practicing different things really. But ultimately, you know, that's that's the stuff that I love and I want to hear. And I you know, I feel like you can. There's, there's guys exactly like what you're saying that that just shred and shred and shred, but you just tell them to play like some simple rhythm, and they just can't they just make can't. it work. Yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, yeah. And th- there's guys out there that get a lot of the work. I noticed this when I was a young fella, and I started watching bands. Like any time a, a, a solo artist would come up from Sydney or Melbourne, it was always the same guys in the band. And I was like, okay, so why does this guy get get all the gigs? And um, yeah. just talking to to just guys in the crew and stuff that I've, I've toured with and that have worked with a lot of those guys. And they go, well, it's because that guy, A, turns up on time every time. Yep. Learns the song. His guitar yep. sound is always on. He's always prepared. If something goes down, oh, you blew a fuse? Oh, he's got a spare fuse. Oh, you, yeah. you blew out, uh, you, you forgot your guitar strap, guitar strap broke. Watch him make one out of gaffer tape. Uh, just yep. all these all these things. Um 
He's not an alpha male. That's one thing that these, these guys go, man, yep. you don't want to be touring with an alpha male. You know, those guys don't last yep. long. It's just like, mate, no, we're all equals. <laughs> um, yep. totally. Yeah, yeah. And they're great rhythm players, and that's 95% yep. of the gig. Totally. Yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. I don't know if we've got anybody out still listening out there. Does anybody have any questions for Luke before I wrap this up? Because I know you said you had to split by about 9.30, mate, and we yeah. hit that. Time goes quick, doesn't it? It does. I told you. I told you. These I feel usually like we go. Could just, we could do this for another five hours easily. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> so what I usually say to everybody is, um, when we hit this point, is do, do you want to come back in a few weeks' time, man, and just chat some yeah, more? It's, let's do it's it. the easiest thing ever to do. Yeah, um, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to do that. Um, anything we should know about coming up with Dead Letter Circus? Uh, well, uh, tomorrow. There's tomorrow night gig in Brisbane, obviously, and then I think we're the next thing we're doing is a festival in uh, Western Australia, but that, that's not till next year. So okay. okay, um, and then I'm playing some shows in Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne with Jacob Lee in okay, November. Yep. yep. Um, and then there's another act that I'm touring with next year, um, which is yet to be announced. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's, there's a fair bit of, um, live shows and whatnot going on. Cool. Cool. Yeah. It's funny. You guys have got fans everywhere. Um, when I posted that we were going to do this the first time, um, you said you don't do YouTube that much. I was going to say, there's a guy who's got a pretty successful channel. I'm trying to think of Stefan's, uh, is he the pedal zone or one of those he plays awesome ambient guitar and when i posted it, yeah he's like oh big fan of those guys and uh, i cheekily said it i know luke's a bit of a pedal head he's probably a fan of yours too um so and that was where's stefan from he's in belgium or one of those places yeah so you guys a, have got you guys have got a long reach there's a fair bit of it's surprising you know you play you know we just did europe and you know it's really interesting you know it's not it's not massive numbers over there that we pull but everyone there is singing along and old stuff new stuff they're all singing singing the words and it's really um it's kind of like you know you kind of get taken back and you know even if there is only you know 150 and 200 200 people in the in the room in some gigs, you just you're just like wow, they're all singing though. Yeah, yeah, awesome, <laughs> so awesome. It's it's a strange feeling. Yeah, and and it's it it's so much more rewarding. Um, like if I go out and play with King Mungi, and we've got twenty guys down the front, hanging over the over the barrier, sort of waving their fists and mouthing a few words here and there, and and that's all that's in the room. I find that so much more rewarding than playing to a corporate gig with five hundred people there back to you. Oh, of course. That, uh, man, that's soul-destroying to me. I see. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not interested in playing gigs where everyone's dancing with their back to you. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, they're, 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 yeah, you're a DJ. You kind of feel like a DJ at that point. Totally. Um, totally. Not, not, not dissing DJs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's some talented button pushers out there. You know, oh, it annoys me because I, I actually really like electronic music and I yeah. – I spent a lot of time where I forgot about being a guitar player and just lost myself in production and um, yeah. programming electronic music. So yeah. I know that it is quite quite in-depth, nice. but it pisses like, me off that cert, that guys are known as DJs who are actually really good musicians because yeah. the only way they can pull it off is to actually go out there and hit play 
or yeah. you know, have it pre-arranged in Ableton or something. But a lot of the guys that, that I'm into, um, BT, Crystal Methods, Chemical yeah. Brothers, those kinds of guys, they all met each other studying classical composition at university, you know, at, yeah. at a conservator- conservatorium it's, or something. It's, it's, it's not, it's like, you know, a lot of people go, oh, you know, electronic music's easy. Like, it's like, yeah, well, wait until you've, you know, produced a few electronic tracks. Show me the electronic tracks you've produced. Yeah. And, 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 and show me how good they are because and, it's not easy. And it's, a, not, it's not as easy as what everyone says that it's, it's, it's anyone could do that because you're just doing it on a computer and whatnot. And I totally get like, you know, to play a note on a guitar and make it sound good is an art, but there's a different kind of art in, you know, finding the right sounds and knowing what works together and arranging, you know, a piece of electronic music. I've definitely got a, 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 um, a deep respect for guys that can produce good electronic music because it's, it's, it's not so much the physical, um, art of playing an instrument, but it's the, it's the knowing, knowing how to compose and arrange sounds and do it and do it very well and clever um it's it's not something that is as easy as it sounds yeah. or seems. i think what gives people a lot of people the wrong impression is that they buy a mac and it has garage band on it and they go what does this do and they drag and drop a few loops and it all magically makes this electronic electronic music and they think that's how it's done it's like no no yeah. the guys i listened to and when i was making my own they create every freaking sound that's in there you know like um I know I did a bit of an album about 10 years ago. The kick drum that started off a particular track, that was me pounding on a big chest of drawers and sampling it to, to make a kick drum sound. And, yeah. um, you know, people don't see how much time goes into creating those synth Absolutely. sounds. I'm not one to just use preset and, and pre-made loops. I never used pre-made loops. Always made my yeah. own. And Absolutely. So, yeah. But, and, you know, you want to you you throw something out there that you go – that sound right there is not something that anyone can just get. It's like something that I built and something that I, you know, created from scratch. And it ha- and it always ends up having its own little personality and it sort of has its, has its own feel when you go down that road and put the effort in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, someone like Skrillex. I I went and saw Skrillex um, not long after he sort of became sort of burst onto the scene. I went and saw him in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, I forget what the name of the club was, but it was a double le- le- level place. I was upstairs pretty much looking right down on him and I was so disappointed to see Roadie come in, put in a USB stick and watch him hit play and then just sort of stand there pretending to turn knobs and things. Yeah. But I know when I listen to his music, that guy just has FM synthesis dialed, man. And just yeah. the beat synced LFO thing that he sort of introduced. That's yeah. for people who don't know, it's that whoa, 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 whoa kind of sound yeah. in time with the music. Um, absolutely mind blowing. He's done, he's done all of the, all of the work in the studio. And then, you know, like, I, I guess for a guy like that, he's just there to, and it's, to, it's, it's, it is, it's a different concept, but he's there to kind of just hire people into kind of dancing along, I guess, you know, like, I guess he looks at it as I've done, done the hard work now. I'm just going to, go and have fun and watch people appreciate what I did. Yep. Um, yeah, so I guess from that point of view, it's not it's not quite as, like for a musician to watch, you go, I would much rather watch 
someone recreate something they did in the studio. But yeah. personally, that's for me. Like for me to watch something live, that is very special because I know I've done the hours on a guitar and I know what goes into it. And then watching someone who someone else who's done the hours and then recreate it live on a stage is a special, um, you know, undeniable thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, when when we when you know a musician like yourself or myself watches some like a DJ just hit play, you just go, "I'm not getting a lot out of this." No, like, that's I can, right. I can appreciate what you did in the studio was great, but you know I kind of want to see you do something on the stage. I, I played dumb, and I actually asked a couple of young guys beside me um, if they knew like what he was doing. I was like, "Man, do you know much about this stuff? Do, do you know how he's getting that sound?" And yeah. They were convinced he was doing it all there, all in real time. And wow! Yeah. I mean, how how the hell would you pull that off live? It'd be damn impossible. Um, I, I know a lot of guys, um, a band that um, Matt Bartlett has been playing with and sort of producing vocals and stuff for is a band called Lastlings, and they're a young uh, brother and sister. They've been touring the world with Rufus. Very very talented guys, and um, I know Josh. He plays. So all of the stuff that they sample in the studio, he plays on an SPD with drum sticks. Yep. And then he's got a keyboard synth, and then he's got a guitar around his neck at the same time. Oh, he's really? Doing, he's doing a bit of everything, and so he's recreating as much as the, of it as possible, as physically kind of possible. He's doing a lot of everything. Um, and sure, there's heaps of it on track, but I still go... Wow, like I'm, in, I'm, I'm kind of captivated by the fact that you're playing a bit of guitar, and then you do an SPD. You quickly jump to the SPD for a verse, and then you jump on the synth for a bridge, and then you back to the guitar. And it's just like I'm entertained. I've, if if there's talent on a stage, doing you know, playing in time and playing in tune and and doing you know, captivating me, I kind of you know these days I'm used to the fact that everyone's running tracks. So I kind of forgive. The fact that there's tracks, as long as there's someone talented on the stage doing something that's impressive, you know, that I that most people can't do. Yeah. But um, if you're seeing someone kind of not not executing live on stage, and then there's heaps of tracks, I just go ah, like it makes it worse. So, you know, do you know what I mean? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Luke, I got one question for you before we split, man. Um, awesome. You've talked about a lot about working on other people's music and working on Dead Letter Circus. Um, do you write any of your own music that might possibly make it onto a Luke Palmer solo record or whatever you would decide to call it? Is that something that's ever crossed your, through your mind? It, ha it has, and it probably, yeah. it probably will be something that I... It, it seems to... In the back of my mind, it's definitely a... Um, it's definitely a like a bucket list thing for me to do, um, but I I kind of want to do it when I'm a little bit like I've, I've I've progressed a little bit further. So I'm doing a lot of you know doing little bits and pieces of like co-writing and helping other writers write, and you know writing vocals and melodies and whatnot is not really something I'm. You know, like to start from scratch yeah. is something that um, I don't know. I kind of feel like if I, if you, if someone comes to me with something, I'm like, all right, I know how to make that better. Um, you know what I mean? Like I'm totally, confident, I'm confident with it. But to just go from scratch, a li especially lyrics, like just to come up with a way of 
um, expressing something lyrically, like and poetically, off the cuff, like just you know, just from scratch, just go from nothing to something. I'm I'm not great at that, and I just I'd I'd like to be better at that. And yeah, you know, I mean, I think if I did a solo project, I'd want it to be. Um, I would like it to be something with vocals. In it. I, I don't think I would be content with it just being a guitar. Sure. Yeah. Thing, you know, yeah. it'd have to be like a, a band thing. But yeah, absolutely, I'd love to do. Um, you know, like, and, and I think of all of the people that I've met over the years, um, in in various different bands, and I'm sure that you know, like later down the track, if I was like, hey, I'm doing a solo project, I really want you to sing on this or play on this, that I would I would have some pretty you know, pretty solid cameos of, of people that I respect and, you know. Yeah, awesome. But I, I, I'm not ready for it yet. I totally, totally agree with you on working on other people's stuff being easier because yeah. I, I know that myself. Exactly the same thing. Write something yourself from scratch. You're too close to it. You're too, yes. you're too especially with lyrics and stuff, it's like, oh, oh are people going to think I'm talking about this? Oh, uh, it's not about yeah. that. It's a, but if somebody else comes to me with a song idea, it's like a smack in the head. They, yeah. they play me the song idea and I just, bam, I just go, that, that was perfect. You just need to drop one bar before you get into that second chorus. You just, yeah. that second bit there, try doing it. The, yeah, and it's just so much easier, isn't it? You just, yeah. 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 I think it's the way we're wired, you know, like it's, it's it's when you're on the outside, it's like it's really easy to kind of go, this is what it needs. But, um, uh, yeah, when, you, when you're on the inside, it's hard to detach. Totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Luke, thanks so much for chatting to us today, thanks, man. It's been, been awesome. Yeah, it's um, yeah. like I told you, the time goes. I, I, yeah. I thought, you know, maybe we might get half hour out of you, but uh, <laughs> like I said, it usually goes three hours and we've hit – gone past the two hour there mate i know you got places to be so let's do it again eh? yeah sounds Lucky. good i'm yeah. very keen awesome so folks um thank you very much for anybody that's been watching this live i'm sure people are going to watch the reruns um next week i fingers crossed i'm going to have dan from the poor uh awesome. if you're if you guys are into aussie hard rock you probably know the band the poor so my friend dan joined them recently and get try and get him on here i might even try and get skinny on here as well singer because he plays a bit of guitar too I love the way he throws a guitar on when the solo's gone, plays rhythm. So, uh, Luke, adios, man. And Thank you very much for no, having me. No problem. And, folks, I shall see you guys next time. Make sure you subscribe so you know when I'm doing these. Do it. Do it.